History's Maddest Bastards. Bastards. Podcast. Echo of a podcast intro. Hello, everyone. Hello and welcome to History's Maddest Bastards. We are back. We've been away for far too long, but the tankard of mustard is back on the table. The The mustard is flowing. Actually, that's not true. It's still got the plastic wrap on. Yeah, but the microphone's on top of the tankard of mustard, which is the important thing. Let it be. Bloody, bloody post-COVID special. It's the first one where we yeah. sat around the same table. Post-COVID. Yeah, that's true. Post-COVID. So it's... we've not really done a proper Maddest Bastards podcast since the the world ended. Um, it's been two years. We did a bit of years. we did a bit of mustard movie nights to keep us entertained for a while, but that fell off after a while. As well, well. So they were all shit. It, it, well, they no, were okay. It, it was good, but it just wasn't quite the same, was it? The, no. Uh, the Conan one was quite good, I thought. I used to eat Cabanos alone and then get drunk and feel a bit poorly to recapture the feeling. When I was young, I used to sit in the cupboard under the stairs and eat that sweaty meat from my hands. <laughs> anyway, anyway. We have fed and watered ourselves the bread and the meat and the questionable that, Polish beer and everything. Has been that's guzzled. true. And when it comes to the watering, while whereas myself and Simon are both drinking beer... Matt has got beer and coffee on the go at the same time. It's it's tea. I've got a nice cup of It's tea, is it? Okay. You uncultured swine. I'm pretty sure that's out of date, though. I don't care if it's tea. Well, I'm (laughs) drinking weird honey beer that I was told in the shop was nice, and it's just... No, I told you after one sip that that stuff's terrible. Well, to me, that was an endorsement, and it's (laughs) it's turned out to be horrible. Are you telling me that back in the days of yore when tea was being brought over to Europe from the East, on the back of some... Uh, asthmatic donkey uh, for fucking years on end on the trade routes they wouldn't be drier than this probably was when it was sat in your cupboard yeah but they're all poorly <laughs> back then all the time that was a hell of a sentence there Matt there. <laughs> they all died of dysentery but it was probably helped by the fact that they boiled you, tea you claimed to have dysentery once didn't you people told me I had dysentery it was actually uh, gastroenteritis was that the weekend where you just stayed in the portal and went ah that was the, <laughs> that was the weekend that led up to a total of eight days of excruciating defecation wasn't that when you were sent in home which... in a bin bag good name for a band no. I'm sorry what <laughs> sent home in a bin bag <laughs> I Sounds like a weird mafia threat. Send you home in a bin bag. I walked to a pair of uh, St. John's ambulance paramedics who were on standby. Oh, I bet said, they were useful. I said, have you got anything for chronic diarrhea? And they thought, <laughs> they, thought, they thought I was joking and just left me alone. He's probably shitting himself, my lords. Filling, Filling his, his hose, hose returns. <laughs> That's a different no, story no, entirely. Yeah. Oh, do it again. Okay. I like it. Anyway, five. like okay, so we need to not ramble on for ten minutes like what, we usually do. I think we, what three, three minutes in that time. I've basically uh, <coughs> I used to be based in the Midlands, but no, I no moved down to no one cares about. They do want to tell you tell what I've been doing. I uh, on a whim. Well, I got asked to attend a college course in uh, essentially vineyard management and that sort of thing, I and think, then ran off to the south to make English sparkling wine. I think the more significant part is that at the start of COVID, you lost your mind. You built a murder dungeon. Oh, that is well. I spent <laughs> that as well. Well, people sniff at my successes, but I actually spent five months working professionally as a voice actor. It worked so. very well, but I remember you showed me a cupboard under the stairs, and it, it did look like when they find a serial killer. 
I have only just in the last couple of weeks gone back to the Shatty Dungeon and ripped the foam off the walls, which is a bit of a strange <laughs> phrase, phrase in itself. It, it yeah. is somewhere like you'd be like putting an advert, like, learn the old man needs cleaning lady. <laughs> Must be young and have weak bones. I've and then they there. find a load of, like a collection of shoes that he's taken from women that he's killed or something. Yeah. No, made... I did not kill those women, but I might have the shoes. <laughs> you didn't kill them, you just kept the bodies. It's just not the same thing. Anyway, so what have not you been doing, Simon? Oh, yeah, um, this week's theme is excess. Okay. Okay, we made a jump, that's fine. Well, I, yeah. I thought Matt, I thought you'd decide the theme was excess. I think I'm the only one who did anything interestingly with I, I think my lockdown oh, yeah, time. I did just spent all time locked up indoors. Well, the table yeah. that we're sat around now, I sat in and I did a job from home that was terrible. And on numerous occasions, I got caught by the bin men shouting at my laptop. <laughs> <laughs> and on one occasion I was shouting you fucking moron you cunt you cunt and then the bin oh. men all went someone's stroppy do you have RuPaul as your bin uh, person I don't believe so but I think he's was still... he in the bin did he fall in the fucking bin I don't think the wheels have fallen off drag race just yet yeah I don't know fair enough well anyway so I think that concludes our intro so wasted um... time Yes, our, our loyal audience who's been very patient, and that's assuming anyone is listening all to this. All two of you. We might get zero views for the next two years, who knows. But, but to all of you, we uh, we can confirm that we have come back to present to you two more candidates for Maddest Bastard. Let the joy flow forth and onwards. And therefore, um, Simon, who have you got to present Ooh, for us today? I've got someone who, um, well, you might already know him. He played a character in English folklore who in not even we're very fond of. Really, I'm not. Uh, really, he played for our took. That's amazing. Oh, for <laughs> can you guess who we? Can you get? I'll cover up his name. Can you guess who he is? Is it Robin Hood? Yeah, but can you guess who played him? <laughs> um, well, you quite a few be. people have played Robin Hood. We've well, got Russell Crowe. He's, he's well, no, he didn't. <laughs> um, his version of Robin Hood is just going. You build it from the ground Kevin, up. Kevin around the world. I'm we've Russell Crowe. We've got Errol Flynn. That's um, him. There we go. I'm genuinely worried that you'd be too young to know who Errol Flynn was. I don't know. I'm aware of Errol Flynn. I, I actually quite like that Robin Hood film. It, <laughs> you won't well after this. Was it from the <laughs> 60s, that one? That was a really uh, 1938. Really? really? Jesus. Yeah, it was okay. Technicolor. Okay, they uh, spent some money on it. I love the old Technicolor yeah. films. Yeah. Yes, because I was confused that it was in colour when I saw it. I remember yeah, this now, yeah. It was very expensive and they made it. But yeah, he was... That's exactly what it sounded like. And now audience Robin Hood with some experimental jazz. Hey, man. All right, come on then. Tell us about Errol Anyway, it's the bloody Tasmanian devil himself, Errol Flynn. Is that what they call him? Yeah, they call him the Tasmanian devil because Errol Leslie Thomas Flynn was born in Tasmania in 1909. Oh. Yeah, well, he hid it in later life. Was he suddenly prone to excess? Yes. Errol's father was a distinguished biologist Apparently, he's well, allegedly, we don't know. We don't know. We don't uh, know. We parents, just don't know. Well, his early life's a bit of a mess. Um, his okay. early wife is a bit of a mess. Well, that too. But uh, <laughs> apparently, his parents often went travelling together for his dad's work, leaving Errol behind, allegedly with no money, but that might be bollocks. Um, his dad, in particular, went on long trips looking for animal bones. What? <laughs> so, uh, Where this... was he looking for these bones? All over the world. In the ground. So it's just like, well, Errol. Fossilized bones? Well, as a child, apparently, he, I don't know, uh, he, he, Errol really looked up to his dad, but he disappeared for a year. I've dated women like that, yeah. Yeah, and then he looked for bones. They're not the ones that you, you accuse me of beating to death with shoes, are they? 
you're not really selling yourself no. there, Stefan. Like, yeah, I date women who are desperate for fossilised bones they've dug out of a desert. I really like old bones. No, uh, some of them just find a dead animal and then they'll leave them uh, to just, you know, decompose so they can have the bones. To offer oh, to the great yeah. hog. Yeah, these are all very pleasant ladies, of course. But yeah, continuing. Well, poor Errol, he had similar problems. It, it gave him a lot of daddy issues, basically. Because <laughs> Crowley territory. He, yeah, he had problems with daddy. Cause oh, wow. his, I won't his... say anything about that one regarding Yeah, that. we won't. Um, well, Crowley will turn up in this. But, um, his, really? Well, there'll be reference. But um, yeah, his dad would disappear for like a year and then come back like, ah, I my boy. And then he, he just upset him. Basically. That's the kind of dad I want to be <laughs> yeah. one day. Well, in his absence, his mother um, didn't know how to deal with him. So she just beat him a lot. Oh, and okay. Allegedly had a lot of affairs. And this may have helped to influence his negative view of women because really? later on in life. It'll do that. Surprisingly. Yeah, yeah funnily enough. Um, I do not condone that sort of thing. Well, she once tried to discipline him by locking him in a room for two days. Um, young Errol resolved... Oh, oh did, did he put foam on the walls and then make a recording <laughs> studio? shouting into a <laughs> metal baked bean tin on a stick. I'm sorry, Matt. Oh, poor boy. You... <laughs> yeah, after that, he resolved to never be cooped up again. He said, you know, he'd never be a prisoner. He'd, you know, bust out of there. Mm. Uh, young Errol was a bit of a tear away because you know daddy was away <laughs> and he tried to run away at the age of seven his mum found him down the road attempting to find work at a nearby dairy farm as you do as a, as a cat <laughs> yeah well no it's just he said basically <laughs> this seven year old boy turned up at their farm and he's like I want to wait for you and he went alright boy he makes and then cheese like no one I've ever seen <laughs> Um, Actually, he, no, that's not a dairy farm thing. It's milk. The cheese I, is done. I, I assume it comes out of cow cheese. I, I, don't know. I don't know how others work. I went to the Wensydale cheese making place once. I like how nice. at the beginning of this, Matt said, like, <laughs> oh, we need to make these shorter. Let's just stick to the facts. Let's just great. steam through it. Now he's like, I went to the Wensydale factory <laughs> once. The Americans came over. It was brilliant. Very uh, nice, very nice. Carry on, he constantly stole from his classmates, uh, <laughs> leading him to being expelled from every from every single school that he attended. Every single school. Every every single school. Uh, in particular, he was expelled from the prestigious Sydney Church of England Grammar School for theft. Sorry, that was my third. <gasps> I know. Uh, but he later claimed that this was because he had a sexual encounter with the school's laundress. What? In, in what? Like a positive <laughs> encounter? Or? I don't know. I assume... What is going on? I'll, I'll turn my phone Who on. is... I'm sorry! Get rid Slut of this. Let you down! This is utter, my utter... My is off and I've let you down! Ah, I always said this day would come. Mother was right about you when I was born. I like that we had discussions before this where we were saying... Let's not derail it. Let's not scream about nothing. And we're five minutes in going, ah! <laughs> <laughs> the great horned one must be appeased. So Stop you're saying he, he was expelled from this prestigious school. All of his schools, every single one, including a fancy boy boarding school in England, and they sent him back to Tasmania. Fair enough. Does it, does it say what he actually did, or was he just... Um, stealing and fighting. Oh, but okay. He claimed later on in life that he was expelled because the school's laundry woman, he done a sex with her. Oh, okay. Oh, okay. In Fair a positive enough. sense, though. <laughs> well, 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 we well, don't know. Do, do they have vibrating uh... washing machines in those days? Well, it just broken down, so she was like, I need a boy now. I don't oh, know. Oh, um, this... I'm, I'm sorry, Simon, I shouldn't read your notes, but I've just seen the title of your next section. Yeah, the next section is called Pirate Man. <laughs> <laughs> Pirate uh, Man! Well, 
Flynn, after he was expelled from all the schools, he managed to get hired by Sydney Shipping Company as a junior clerk, but he was soon sacked. Can you guess why he was sacked? Was this something uh, involving pirates? Was no. something having to do with having sex with a senior clerk? No, he stole petty cash. Well, after this, Flynn decided that the only sensible course of action would be to take the high seas. <laughs> <laughs> it's the only course of action. Anything to do. At the age of 18, he knew to, he moved to Papua New Guinea to seek his fortune. <laughs> What's funny about that? <laughs> it's oddly, uh, oddly reminds specific. me of my guy that I've got. Uh, well, he wanted to seek his fortune as a plantation owner and as a gold prospector. What? <laughs> so he was lit. It's weird. It's funny though because he was one of the most suave men alive. And when you hear gold prospector, you always imagine a toothless old man. <laughs> oh, you imagine days. Stinky Pete from Toy Story. Right? Oh, there's gold in them no hills. I remember oh. fighting Grandpa. You so, fight something about this town I'm being taken over gold. by. Yeah. I yeah. say there's gold in the We've... hills. He says there isn't gold in the hills. I, 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 I said I said there's gold in those hills, Johnny. And I said don't oh, go there, Johnny. Oh. Don't go to gold hills. That's oh, where the bad men are. Yeah. Uh, that's a sample of what. You gold... let me dig up the gold. <laughs> This is what gold prospectors talk like, but Errol Flynn was more, hello, I'm Errol Flynn. <laughs> That's before you get there. Can I do a sex on you? That's kind of what he sounds like. You dig about. up one bar of gold. You know, you don't dig up bars of gold, do you? I don't know where the came no, you from. You smelt them, you dig up the gold, and oh, then you pound well. the gold out, and then you smelt them, and that's how you get your bar of gold. Well, there's trouble. Are you a gold digger, Stefan? Um, no, but I've known a few. I want to be and, a gold uh, digger. Thankfully, they weren't interested in me, because I don't have any money. <laughs> oh, I wish I was a gold digger, it'd be great. Um, the trouble with all this, though, and all the gold, was he became involved in an illicit form of slavery, this is bad, known as blackbirding. Okay. okay. Where what? he would um, basically recruit, na- go into the jungle and he'd recruit native people to work in Australia or work in the Australian gold mines. Uh... The trouble with that, though, is technically it was consensual, but most likely Errol Flynn was just going around with a net. Just... It was like exploitation. Yeah, he was just capturing people and then not paying them. Coercion. Which was a bit bad. Okay, I'm, I'm just making notes about each person, so I'm just going to write slavery. <laughs> slavery question mark? Oh. Question mark. We're going to have a shrug in... with, with little quotation marks either side. There we oh, go. Are we right? going to have to put in a little disclaimer that slavery bad kids yeah. don't do it? I think this is definitely verging okay. into like. Those were the days. I think, territory. Yeah, if I... We haven't got the red coat uniforms on, I think we'll be all right. Yeah. Even, even then, it depends what period. Well, I, I was lent one and I damaged it, which I'm quite sad about. I still <laughs> regret it. But yeah, if it was history's baddest bastards, he'd have won by now because he was literally a slaver. Um, he also settled into the lifestyle of a colonial gentleman. Oh, so, yeah, the, no. those photos of him at the time where he would wear a pith helmet and a white suit. Oh, and no. it's mental because this was like 1930. Was he, was he born aloft on a litter as he was washed oh, I bet he probably. I think he, he must might have been. Be. Surely, surely well, he was. On Gen one of the photos. To keep the plague away. No, there, malaria. There is a local person holding like a drink for him on a tray and he's like with his hands on his hips with his pith helmet on like big les going, hmm. That is one of the hilarious. God save the king. It's one of the hilarious things about the British abroad, where they don't <laughs> well, he was Australian. rough it. Oh, sorry, I didn't realise. It was the Church of England thing that threw me off. But it's the idea that uh, I need quinning to deal with my malaria because of these bugs. Put some gin in it, would you? <laughs> yeah, I always thought it was English. I guess because he plays an English folk hero. In a film. Oh, well, we'll get into that later. <laughs> um, he had mastered the English accent, to be fair. Like, yeah, uh, he hid it very quickly because yeah. being Australian then wasn't glamorous. It's true. Um, on one visit to New Guinea, because he went between New Guinea and Australia because he was transporting people he kidnapped. Well, he was on the high seas, oh, no, right? On the high seas of no. 
crime. Um, Flynn claimed to have been ambushed by the natives and he shot one of them. (laughs) And we don't know what happened, but it it sounds a bit like when Alistair Crowley went to India and shot a man and went, that man tried to rob me. Sounds a bit like that, doesn't it? Yeah. Um, It's not one of those. Well, also in his autobiography, he doesn't sound very sorry about it. He just wrote, oh, got him right in the neck. (laughs) So, yeah. Um, Hit him bullseye, dead on, mate. <laughs> well done. Um, I threw him under a bus just to make sure. <laughs> well, he claimed this was self-defence, and he was acquitted in court. But Flynn had to leave and return to Australia, and he also took a nasty case of gonorrhea back with him, which is nice. I'm just going to make a note of that as well. Gonorrhea. Gonorrhea. <laughs> Not, gonorrhea. Not just mild. Gonorrhea. Oh, this bit's quite grim. Um, he struggled to find work after being a fancy man abroad, and this is he went sort of down in the world a bit. He got a job on a sheep ranch in the Australian outback. And this is mental. I don't know why they did this. But his job was to shove his face into a sheep's ass and then he'd bite their bollocks off. <laughs> no way. I've heard of that. Yeah, then he like had the weird oh. It's insane. Like they had accent they had knife technology in the nineteen thirties. I've got a friend who's got a girlfriend whose dad owns a sheep farm. Does she he claims bite the bollocks that... off? No, but she did claim that when one was being born and it was either going to kill the host, meaning its mother, or the host. I don't know, they could either save the lamb or the mother. Did they bite it out? Uh, he knocked a nail into its head. Oh, and Jesus cut Christ. And cut it up to bits and then pulled it out. Oh, that's sad. But yeah, um, he sheep did. Plants, so, yeah. so I'm sorry, he used to shove his face into a sheep's arse. And a sheep's arse is always a mess. And he'd bite the balls off so um, what he was just neutering them basically yeah and then he'd spit them into a bucket and then he'd hand them into the ranch manager the and be like I've done all these balls today I just feel that the biting isn't necessary no cause uh, I'm yeah. pretty sure they do it with a big elastic band yeah I I've found... seen it done on old oh no animal hospital that was back in the good old days I found sordid and criminal I found a weird video with a woman wearing plastic and she was threatening well we all found those in the yeah, past yeah right? she was threatening <laughs> the camera with a bit... women like this she was threatening the camera with a big elastic band saying, I'm going to cut your bars off. I thought, this sounds terrible. Slowly over a period I'm not of giving you any of my money. It's when she I'm starts... taking my financial details. <laughs> it's when she starts goose-stepping around the room and gets the flamingo for out. Oh, then she's a keeper. That's a different yeah. situation. Nah, not really. Not um, people I know. Anyway, back to uh, bollock-biting ranch. Yeah. Um, he soon lost his... This is the mad thing. His job was, if you've ever seen... I mean, I don't know if you make a habit of looking at sheep's asses. Not really. I don't, haven't really. I normally look at their heads. Oh, well, they're a right mess. They're covered in shite. And so are their heads. All day he would have his face in there. And somehow he was charming enough to seduce his <laughs> boss's daughter. I thought you were going to say to seduce the sheep to let him do Well, maybe he did. Maybe he was like, hello, I'm Errol Flynn. Come he over here, been... I'll bite your bollocks off. They were like, he's nice. He's you know all relative. Right? He must have been the best of a bad bunch. I, I remember a while ago, some of the ladies at work, like, you know, we're talking boomer age ladies. Were they I trying remember... to bite your bollocks? No, they... no, that hasn't happened, thankfully. But th- those middle-aged women, if you wear a kilt, you want to watch out for them because they will reach under there. And oh, that's my God. This However... Is... Um, these ladies in particular I remember when one of them was talking about Errol Flynn they all said that he was supposed to have had a massive penis ah well there's a section the, later on there's a section on called, the penis did he have a big willy and <laughs> okay, it's uh, I've done some extensive research does he do all very good Ollie? very good please continue but yeah speaking of that I, I learned Oliver Reed. yeah during my time doing bar work I learned the hard way that, that most women on hen night are fine they're just like Woo! But it's always when they bring the nan. <laughs> the nan has the vice-like bollock grip 
But oh, you can't, no. And you can't shove a nan off you when you're collecting glasses. And she's yeah. like, hmm. Well, they're well practiced, aren't they? You well, it, well, it's, it's, that if they're trying to neuter you by yeah, breaking it, off it, your ball. The trouble is, it's like their first night out in about twenty years, and they're like, "I've had a heat, so I'm gonna grab this boy's bollocks." <laughs> so, yeah, sure up, Sandra. Nan's having one. It's of your her... fault. Your granddad's dead. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> she's um, having one of her funny turns. She's on the Bailey. Anyway, device. somehow Flynn managed to seduce his boss's daughter, and he was chased across the outback with a shotgun. Um, this is a man who always fell on his feet, though. After losing that job, he was cast in his first film, called In the Wake of the Bounty. Uh, Flynn told the director that he was descended from the Bounty Mutineers. There's no evidence of this. The, the what? Sorry. You know, well, no, it wasn't like the coconut bar. It was actually a boat Mutineers. <laughs> I never thought of the coconut bar until you just said that now. I well, actually, as a child, when I heard about it, I thought that it was like a load of sailors, and they like they want <laughs> oh, okay. they wanted more bounties, and they were told like, no, one per day. Okay, I was thinking enough. of the mutiny on the bounty, or uh, <laughs> got a giant. Uh, as Markham and Weiss spelt it, the Monty on the Bounty. <laughs> right then, we've edited a bit out because Matt kept talking about bounties. Oh, now, about bounties. Around this, we all... suck the chocolate off and just chew slowly on the oh, desiccated coconut. How could you? <laughs> Around this time, Flynn attempted to worm his way into Sydney's high society. Um, he became engaged. What's 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 I'm about that? Picturing someone trying to worm his way in posh parties in a dinner jacket, but moving like a worm. I should worm my way towards your house. Oh, just they're all Flynn just rolling around on the floor. Like, Hello, are you the Duchess? Oh, just bringing a sheep with him is a date. You invited worm guy again. He keeps moving in a Well, they call the way. groundskeeper and he chops in with half of them. There's two are off lanes. Hello! You can't hold oh, the champagne because he's always wriggling too much. <laughs> um, around this time, oh no, I've already said that, um, he was engaged, but because he uh, wanted the money, he later seduced an older married woman, so he had a bit of a sugar mama, sugar mummy, whatever you call them. Was a mistress. Um but then he stole her jewels. <laughs> so if you can add international jewel thief to the her list. Family jewels. I, I find it quite interesting that he managed to do the same thing to a woman that he did to male sheep, in that he stole the jewels. Stole oh. the jewels. <laughs> Every day you stray close to becoming your dad. His bite was worse than his butt. Uh, on, um, on the run from the law, he fled the country. Uh, this is oh, Tasmania. This where, where did he go then, Simon? Oh, this this it went mental. Um, this section is called Herman Urban. During his travels, because uh, he was escaping the Australian police, oh. Flynn befriended an eccentric Austrian doctor. Called, <laughs> Aren't they all called Herman Urban? I've never met a normal Austrian doctor. Well, Flynn was really susceptible to this. He became something of a surrogate father figure for Errol, and he <laughs> taught him all this weird stuff. Did he have a secret serum that made him superhuman if he was injected with it and a vibranium shield? I mean, I've been, I've done a bit of research and I don't believe so, but we're not sure. Um, <laughs> Herban taught him all this wacky stuff. So they travelled around Asia together, frequenting brothels and opium dens, <laughs> and allegedly <laughs> cheating in cockfights in the Philippines for How? money. How do you cheat? I, I assume you like hurt the other chicken. You just pin the chicken down and inject yeah. it with PCP and coke. It's like the end of Gladiator. You like stab one of the birds and give it a little, a little kiss <laughs> on the cheek. Like, brother, good luck in the arena, brother. <laughs> um, the pair of them, because Flynn really liked uniforms, briefly. This, bon this isn't going to be an SS uniform, is it? No. Actually, they... no, this is too early Oh, for that, no, so. well, that's foreshadowing. Um, they, <laughs> they briefly joined the Royal Hong Kong Army Volunteers <laughs> and then promptly deserted. Oh, uh, what? How well, soon after? 
I don't know, but they weren't in long. Long enough for Flynn to just be like, oh, this is nice, isn't it? And then he got born when that is rubbish. Like a couple of weeks. Yeah. Uh, well, he escaped Hong Kong and he went to England in 1933 and he joined the Royal Theatre in Northampton. Oh. He caused a bit of a stir in Northampton because his lodgings were opposite a shoe factory <laughs> and he had a habit of standing naked by the window and showing off. So he'd like flex what? his muscles and be like, ooh, look at me, I'm, I'm a sexy boy. <laughs> And it, well, apparently, the women who worked in the shoe factory used to watch him. And like his, the Diet Coke guy. Yeah, ex- exactly like the Diet Coke guy. You know, nice. like, I want you. They don't show be... those adverts. Wait, I'm anymore, sorry. Who's they? the Diet Coke guy? Oh, this is in the 90s. Basically, all these women are in office and they're like, they, oh, they it's 11 30. It's 11 30. Oh. And then they're all like, oh, like touching themselves. And then, like, there's this <laughs> really muscular bloke who's a window cleaner. Yeah, with no And he's all like, oh. He'd, like, be, he'd be there in jeans. I don't think he wore a belt, which annoyed me. I think you could see, like, (laughs) the top of his willy area, but not his knob. It was like, you know, know, the Brad Pitt V. I imagine he was waxed (laughs) good and clean and smooth. And they're all like, oh. Your baby's face. And, yeah, it's all uh, very odd. And he's drinking a Diet Coke, so, like, the advert's saying, like, men, drink Diet Coke, and you'll get abs, and all those women in an office will want you. (laughs) And there are these fat lads in the 90s who are like, I, 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 could, I could be him. Um, Fre- no. Frey Bentos did like a take on that. <laughs> yeah, that's we it. make all the pies. I like that. Oh, that was good. Dear. But yeah, he did that. Um, the manager of the shoe factory used to go over the road to his landlady's house and bang on the door, apparently. <laughs> I don't know what. And like, he complained saying he was like wasting time. And he's just sort of going around, like, oh, hey, hey, stop being sexy. Stop that. Stop that. None of that. Like, no, that I've about. got scabbed to dab. Stop that right now. Oh, like dear. in Monty Python. Stop yeah. that. Um, stop that. It's silly. <laughs> well, um, he had a, a brief career in theatre. This all started to go wrong, though, after he threw a theatre manager's wife down a staircase. Oh, <laughs> he Which, threw her. Yeah, he That's had. A bit um, well, he had two big issues in life. One is that he, he basically <laughs> magazines hate... that he sold to yeah. people on the street. <laughs> well, <laughs> Jesus Christ! Um, he didn't like women very much, and he also had a bit of a rage when people would stand up to him. Don't. Um, after he, well, this is very lucky for Finn. Around the time he threw this woman down a staircase, he was spotted by a Hollywood talent scout. And he sent what? a telegram back to me. Like, I found this guy. He's a real firecracker. He's oh. a real. He's a real star. I like imagine like you know what, Flynn. He just threw the manager's wife down. And says he's a star, baby. That's what we want. When was this? Thirties. Yes. Yeah, in the thirties. So when this is like, basically a hundred years ago. It's, well, it's pretty much the exact this, opposite of the approach. This was take well. This was the James Cagney days. Like, have you ever seen? Oh, he's oh. made loads of them. And there's this one gangster film where his wife's just like. I'm sad because you're a gangster. Why don't you ever stop being a gangster, James Cagney? He goes like, ah, shut up. And he just like shoves a grapefruit in her face. Don't do that. <laughs> that was like a famous scene. All the men's are like, yeah, that's right, James Cagney. Don't you try which poses and play a question. kind of Tommy Rabaloni with me. <laughs> which poses a question. Viewers, would you shove a grapefruit in someone's face if they were harassing you? That's the question. Well, if, if it was like a bloke being like, oh, you want to fight me? Like, grapefruit for you, sir. But if it's... <laughs> Well, I feel like that's quite a gentlemanly, civilised way. Yeah, go away. Have some vitamin C. See, if it's got the cocktail the sticks with sausages and bits of cheese on, you well, can get quite like a punji stick sharp well, weapon involved. Mm, that's it, true. I don't know. It's, it's not really fair to use Viet Cong tactics when you're using a whimsical sculpture mm. of a hedgehog. People, people made have out them at cheese. children's parties. It's not a party. They did, yeah. Things on sticks. They also had Build-A-Bear uh, actors dressed oh, in Oh, for God's sake. Don't remind me of my former work. 
joke. If we're going to bring this up, Matt, I mean, well, we I'm already, there. I'm <laughs> sure we've already brought this up. So. I, think, I think we have. Let's ignore this one. Well, no, well, well, so many diseases from children's parties. Well, we'll zoom through it. Matt Heald used to work at Build-A-Bear. Oh, sorry, I used your surname. I mentioned it in episode one anyway. He, he used to get too drunk, so they used to put me in the Build-A-Bear outfit and he's no, in the No, that's not true at all. I've I been told this by reliable sources. Though. What was it? Our you? friend who <laughs> has a like, missing part of his brain. <laughs> I was never too drunk to work at Build-A-Bear. I've heard I stories. I made that... sure... However hungover I might be, that I was always. I mean, at is it work possible day, to like Oliver Reed? Is it possible yeah. to be too drunk to work at Build well, a Bear Workshop? Surely, well, the, whoever I, that was, they were wearing possible. a bear mascot costume, and it wasn't me. It's, it's possible to be pro. not drunk enough, mofo. Doesn't it sound worrying that this is I'm maybe your reputation? They've just walked in, seen a big teddy in the corner. There's Matt pissed. <laughs> there he is. <laughs> they may have assumed, but they assumed wrong. Because I, ever, was, I was, he wasn't the, the man in that bear suit. I, I was the best mascot they ever had. Yeah, I believe you. Maybe it was they, a weird flex, but okay. I mean, has this ever been an issue with you that you get confused for a giant bear? I do have, bear. I do have strange dreams that I'm late for work at a place that I haven't worked at for over a decade, <laughs> where I have to like run a kids like party, and I used to do really good kids parties. Where I met a bouncer once in a club in Nottingham who, uh, I, uh, like, little 11-year-old daughter, had a really nice birthday party that I ran. Aww. And she talked about it to her mum. And then Aww. she recognised me in the club. Oh, and I lost nice. my jacket and it got stolen. And she's like, I recognise you. He's the bear boy. I yeah. think this might be the most wholesome thing that's ever been so, said on the podcast. <laughs> Sorry, j- just one last thing. Um, so every time there's a question that I think is worth putting out to the wider audience, um, we're going to put that in a little in a little bank of questions in my head. And then eventually, when one is funny enough, we're going to ring Doug and we're going to ask him the question. So I just need anyway. to be... Oh, are we going to do an Ask Doug? Oh, yeah, I think, we are. I think I, we are. I think I just need to be very careful to not mistake big stuffed bears for Matt in a costume. Yeah. Because <laughs> when the fair's in town, I might be like, that couple's dragging Matt away. Go oh, up. my God. <laughs> you wander up to them and say, I don't like you then, smart. get off him. <laughs> I don't like smart. Oh, yeah, that, punch that, him in the stomach. That got us in trouble with the BBC, didn't it? <laughs> we were, I don't like no smart cans. Now, this is majorly derailed. We were doing filmed work at a reconstructed Anglo-Saxon village. We, we were, we're told to be quiet on set. Simon walks up to me shouting, I don't like smart cunts. He's like, knee me in the bollocks. Based on a not very well-known Australian film that we may cover at some point. <laughs> There's an Australian man who was brought up by his mum in a shed and he, he can only communicate by walking up to people going, I don't like smart cans! And then like, kicking them in the bollocks. Assaulted a man with a dead Why haven't we done a podcast on this guy? Have you oh, ever seen the film Bad Boy, Bobby? Oh, we should make you watch it. No, but I haven't. That'd be naughty. It's, okay, fair enough. I'm up If for that. you're okay with uh, oh. stylized fake animal cruelty and... Kids, do you like pretend animal cruelty? Are you okay with stylized animal cruelty? Maybe That's... we should ask Doug that. See what I mean, he says. It's a pretty dodgy film. Anyway. We should go back to Bloody Errol Flynn. Yeah, um, he got to America. Um, he told the studio that he was a champion boxer, which he fucking okay. wasn't. That's a bit of a dangerous claim to be bandying about. Well, if to look at him... All right, bang! If you look at photos of him, he's not a man who's been punched in the nose. Like He was he's lean and lithe, but he wasn't like a, a hard nut. Yeah, but also nice. the, stu- the studio said he was the Irish leading man of the London stage. He was what? never on the London stage and he wasn't Irish. Sounds like Oliver Reed. Yeah. Well, uh, Oliver Reed's lies were more like, I fought a hundred men. I'm Irish, you know, let's fight. <laughs> oh, no, that's Peter. Oh, yeah, he did, sorry. Um... 
when he'd first got with the studio, they took him on a night out in New York, like, oh, you yeah. know, show, show him the town. Oh, yeah. He took them on a massive detour and said, I want to see Harlem. And they were like, no, 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 no. <laughs> of all places, why? <laughs> well, in the 30s, apparently Harlem was quite dodgy. Did they have know. the Globetrotters at that stage? I don't know. I don't think they would have stood for his antics. They would have come out because they're always teaching kids good lessons and doing basketball. I like the way they spin the ball on the thing. Yeah. Well, he might have met one of them, actually, because he, or one of their dads, I don't know, he made this sort of, um, this studio man go with him. And he said, that bar looks good. And he was like, we don't want to go. Please, I do not want to go to that bar. And this was the 30s. But no, that bar looks great. Let's go in that bar. Uh, apparently oh, there were these beautiful women dancing on stage. He was like, yeah, this is the place. And because he was quite charming, he brought one of the dancers over. And the studio man kept saying, this is not a studio-approved bar. You oh. don't want to do this. And he said, no, no, this is, this is great. Apparently he put his hand up this lady's skirt and he found her big old willy. Well, okay. So, uh, so it, what did he do? Uh, it, was I, it bigger than his, though? That's did, he, did he roll we with it? Um, we, we don't know. We don't know. We just don't know. It's, just it's know. one of history's greatest mysteries. Cause, um, I feel like the decent thing to do would have been, like, press onwards. Well, you know. well, this, is, well this is a derailing. Um, this is often used as, like, a funny story about him, but apparently... Allegedly, he had a lot of affairs with men anyway, so... Okay. Oh, but I knows, maybe... He was Hollywood in the 30s. Well, people tell it as a funny story, like, oh, Flynn, that was a willy, but for him, he might have been like, oh, Jack Pops. He Here been, we go! He should have been <laughs> in like Flynn. But yeah, that all going to... But yeah, he basically dragged the studio man to a drag bar in, like, 1933, when it was very illegal, and he was saying, no, no, I don't want to go, oh, this is lovely! Uh, but yeah, <laughs> <laughs> they often are. I think they're really nicely decorated places. They are nice. Uh, while all this was going on, he was married. Not that I go to a lot of drag. So he was, I see. <laughs> he was married, and he was going around grabbing dancers' willies, which is uh, not really fair. Yeah. Um, on the voyage over, Flynn always landed on his feet every time. He was like a cat. Um, so nine nine lives. Well. Did he? Well, I don't know if he's done in this. The box in the corner. And, and oh, then. I don't. I've not done any of the stuff he's done, really. But I always land on my feet. So. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> on the voyage over. That's something. If you haven't met our judge, Stephen Harrison, he is part cat through a process of yeah. symbiosis. Genetically. He sleeps in a little bed that clips onto a radiator. It's true. Uh, yeah, uh, that's been broken recently, actually. But, he climbs yeah. trees and yowls all night, and people keep turning lights. I remember once. On the doors. I remember Just once. Don't uh, ask me where I was in 1998. I do remember I once shot him with a super soaker and he hissed at me. Yeah. Like a goose. <laughs> but yeah, um, on the voyage over, Flynn met a French actress called Lily Demeter. She was five years his senior and mental. But she <laughs> was. How old she was, was he? Um, he was late 20s, mid 20s. Okay. Okay. But she was very, very well connected in Hollywood. Little woman. Yeah, yeah like, so. seriously, guys. Um, just don't get involved with older women that are mental. Well, you never know. Well, well don't red hot jiggler. Well, no, we'll have PC. <laughs> we'll have body PC time. Marry you like as long as they're not mental. Yeah. Um, yeah. She basically Flynn had, was married to her because she was very well connected with the studios. Mm. She was also insanely jealous, and he kept having affairs. He just what? couldn't stop doing it. That's a bit naughty. Well, his excuse was, women throw themselves at me. I come home trying to be loyal and there's one un- under my bed. I can't send her home. I have to make love to her. I'm guessing, well, I'm guessing he wasn't engaged anymore at this stage. Well, he was married. So married. often he would come oh, home. Sorry, so I'm technically bits. not engaged. No. Yeah. No, um, I, I mean well, what I say. He <laughs> would often come home to Lily, who would throw plates and... Lily plant- Demeter. Yeah, plates. Nice to meet you, Lily Demeter. Um, she would often throw plates and plat plant pots at him so she'd like you know like a Looney Tunes character she'd smash <laughs> <that over laughs> like a bad fashion sketch with the yeah. 
every day was like home alone for him. Like he'd be like, this is a nice affair. He'd come home and then get like a bowling ball to the head. Oh god. Um, on the big well, incident, that. <laughs> there was one big incident that was like the worst one. Uh, she had their first wedding anniversary, invited all the friends around for a big party. Um, he turned up battered, late, <laughs> said, happy anniversary, darling, and then hit himself over the head with a bottle of champagne. What? <laughs> I'm sorry, what? <laughs> <laughs> that honestly, honestly, that is beautiful. So, what, he turned up home late, Presumably drunk. To the part to his anniversary party with all the friends. Oh, to the anniversary party. And yeah, she was so. very angry, like, Emma, where have you been? And then, Happy anniversary, darling. Knocked himself out with the <laughs> um, uh, is... do, do you think he did that because he assumed she was about to do it? Or Maybe. did he do it just to well, prove a point? Well, this is where he gets quite naughty. Um, this led to a fight where he knocked one of her teeth out. Ooh, which is quite oh, bad. No. There was bit... also one very bad incident where he was very drunk and thought it'd be funny to buy a lion cub in Chicago. Okay. Where he was staying with his wife. He sobered up, realised, what am I going to do with this? So he took it to the front desk and said, This belongs to Mrs Flynn. She'll be collecting it soon. And then he left town. <laughs> what? <laughs> <laughs> what? What happened to that? We don't know. You can't. This is this like isn't Tiger King. Keith Moon with their tortoise that de- delivered them shots of whiskey. But they looked after those tortoises. Yeah. I mean, uh, yeah, they were my... decent fellows. You know? I was telling my hairdresser about the tortoise today. Wee, very good. Very yeah, good. Yeah, if you haven't talking. heard our episode, they were told to, to like slow down the drinking. So they had pet tortoises and they would put double whiskeys on the tortoises' back. And they'd, they'd walk their little tortoises over to each other. Tortoise power! Imagine that. So if myself and Matt were here right now, see, he's just had a drink. If I were to pour Matt a drink and then put it on a tortoise and then walk it over to Matt, then Matt took a drink. That's <laughs> how cool that would be. strapped to his back. Oh, yeah. Why if he doesn't want to play ball, though? Well, then you get another tortoise. What do you do to an ornery tortoise? I think you go on um, Facebook and be like, this tortoise is bad, who wants it? Status. Can I, can I just say, though, I think there's there's just something particularly magical and, and legendary about a man who arrives late to his own anniversary party <laughs> and then knocks himself out with a wine bottle. The like, trouble is. That, that is just beautiful. So he, it, it reminds me of a story where... Um, so the my housemate, uh, he was once involved with a lady who um, sometimes would get a little bit battered and we'd walk home... And she'd be waiting in the window, and it'd be like a weird parody of Romeo and Juliet, where she'd be looking down and go, "You're right, boys. You've been out late." And we look at each other horrified, and I'd, ha- me and him, would have to then like have a moment of understanding where we'd we'd then act the fool and be all funny until she left, and then we knew it was safe for him to go inside. <laughs> the, the lack of specifics in the story is making me struggle. Yeah. Yeah. Who are they? Funny. <laughs> this is the most generic story of tomfoolery I've heard in a while. <laughs> this is, is tomfoolery. Like, one you've... time, me and this other guy used to do things that were quite humorous, <laughs> but I can't tell you any details. I really can't. That's the <laughs> it's like you've been, you've been up to all time your hijinks, but you've fouled the numbers up. Oh, you roister doister, you. <laughs> oh, they so we'd basically just get back. She'd be waiting in the window, and we'd have to just. Like he'd, he'd stagger around a bit and I'd steady him and be like, oh, all right there, old fellow, you'll be all right, you'll make it inside, don't worry. <laughs> Was it Avengers? And then he'd fall over a few times. It, it might have been. <laughs> and then when I'd pick him up and eventually I like that I can guess left. which one of your friends this is because you went, oh, I can't stand up. Oh, yeah. oh, oh, bounce off the walls, but yeah. fine. I've got anyway. so, so that brings us to the question, viewers. If you arrived late to your anniversary party, would you knock yourself out with a champagne bottle and say, happy anniversary, darling? Well, if you did Wait, that and then said happy anniversary, darling, it'd be quite impressive. Well, I think the should. other way around, presumably. Uh, but... In his defence, he woke up in hospital and was very apologetic, but charming people often are. 
Uh, well, his wife, because he's not one of the teeth out, which oh, is shit, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, none of us have ended up in hospital recently after oh, um, drinks have been smashed. <laughs> yeah. Nah, we've never been <laughs> um, never. Bah, bah. Um, I just pump my own stomach when it thanks, goes. <laughs> thanks. Oh, I need to buy a stomach pump. That'd be amazing. <laughs> no, I need to vomit now. I've got, I got, the, your, oh. I got your homebrew kit with a sort of siphon thing. That could work. Here we are. Nanny's paracetamol remover. <laughs> You'll be sad forever. I won't let you die. Why, <laughs> anyway. Why deprive the NHS of their valuable time when we can do it at home? <laughs> anyway, um, he made a film called Captain Blood. This is how well connected his wife Lily I've was. heard of Captain Blood. It's, it's good. This is the annoying thing, he's good on screen, but mm. he was a total unknown. He'd, Shithead. He, yeah, he was awful. He'd only been in one <laughs> terrible film, but he got the starring role in this like swashbuckling pirate film. I thought you were going to say swastika then. Oh, yeah, well, we'll talk about different... that later. <laughs> that comes later. It's not but 1940s. The mad thing is, yeah, sorry, yeah, the sorry, mad thing about excited. all of it, well, you always get excited when the friendship windmill is involved, unfortunately. <laughs> oh, no. um, anyway, he had a reputation as a fancy Nancy boy. Because he always what? played characters who wore tights, and he started to resent it. He, he was, was always a Nancy Fancy Boy. Wasn't fancy Nancy Boy. That's, that's the term that's of the time. Acting. That's being yeah. a true thespian. Um, I don't know why I went. Well, oh, okay. <laughs> well, uh, I'm aggressive, up, sweetie. Up, I'm well, Billy someone who sounded uh, like that. Stefan's had to run off to the kitchen. He's holding not his well. Face. Well, the trouble is, face is well, Matt. Pretend you're a burly extra and do that voice again, but pretend you don't like what, Errol Flynn. The, the I'll be Errol Flynn. Connolly voice. Uh, I'll just say... How well, do they do that? You know... Right, I'll be Errol Flynn. We'll be on the charge of the light brigade. Sex is happened. very interesting when you hit your 70s. Uh. How is it? In- well, actually, probably it's interesting because you don't remember the birds the next day. <laughs> Who are you? Who are you? I'm, I'm the nurse who wanks you off. Ah! Every day <laughs> see your picture. What, is this in a film or in, the, uh, in a ward in a hospital? Well, bed? when you've got dementia, Please, I'm nurse. a nurse who wanks you off. No, nurse, I'm in traction. <laughs> I haven't got time for all that nonsense. Just anyway, oh, Lord. reputation. Just me, Errol Flynn <laughs> deliberately got in a load of fights, much like Oliver Reed, because he felt that he had a funny reputation for being an actor. Uh, <laughs> on the charge of Light Brigade, one burly <laughs> extra. Um, burly? From, yeah, burly, yeah. That's <laughs> <it>. <laughs> yeah, he just came up. Next. Thought it would be funny to play a prank on Flynn. He stabbed his horse in the arse with a lance, and the horse reared up and Flynn fell off, which that's quite dangerous. Yeah. Um, Flynn dragged the extra off his horse, beat the shit out of him in front of the entire crew, and the man spent two days in hospital. Well, that's just rude. That <laughs> is a bit, bit well, these days, if like Tom Cruise shouts at someone, the media's like, Tom Cruise shouted at someone. But back then, on a film set, Errol Flynn would be like, you, the cheek of you, and he'd just beat up strangers. I imagine he said, how dare you, or something. He's like an extra. Like, He's owned by the studio. You. They bought him as a baby. I can snap his neck and get away with it. Uh, this section's called Spine. Um, Flynn was desperate. Spine. spine. Uh, sounds like a weird B-movie. Well, Errol Sorry, Flynn, read. Errol Flynn, back to his reputation, he had it all, but he was a big-time actor man. But he wanted to be taken seriously as an intelligent man. He wanted to be a writer, and he idolised Hemingway. Oh. So he basically... I mean, who doesn't, right? You know? Yeah, well, he... <laughs> I don't know, he did shoot himself in the head, which is bad for you. You shouldn't do that. That's true. Um, so basically, Flynn tried to go to the Spanish Civil War, and people who 
listen to this podcast will know Robert Sellers, who wrote the book on Oh, Wolverine. what madness is this? Um, what fresh madness is this? What fresh lunacy is this? That's the one. He wrote about Errol Flynn and claimed his theory is that Errol Flynn was trying to escape from his wife. Okay. So he said, the marriage got so bad... This is, this is Yeah, this is Robert Sellers writing. The marriage became so bad that Flynn escaped to the Spanish Civil War... <laughs> Preferring a paella-fueled bullet to the head <laughs> to another bout of nagging. Oh, no. Uh, that's, a, that's a weird link to my guy as well. Uh, this is a wacky thing about Errol Flynn. He boasted that he'd raised $1.5 million for the, lo- for the Republican cause. Uh, wow. They were relying on this money coming in. Uh, this turned out to be bollocks. He just said it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, also, there's someone from earlier... This entire trip was suggested to him by an old friend, Herman Urban. <laughs> oh, that, so that absolute rascal, Herman Urban. Well, apparently he came out of the woodwork. Like, I imagine probably he was in the mirror, like, my life's boring now, and he just said Herman Urban into a mirror, and he appeared like, hello, old boy! So I like three th- times, and then up he popped. I like to think yeah. he crashed through a wooden door, like what? a strange Richard Harris. Or just speaking in <laughs> third Fuck. person, Herman Urban. Like honey Monster. There's a, <laughs> there's a guy at my work, which I'm not going to tell you where it is, but um, there's a guy who's from New Zealand who'd never heard of the Honey Monster, and my manager and I were trying to describe this large, hairy, yellow monster that basically home invasions people and, and makes steals their cereal. They're always making like a bowl of tasty cereal, and he just nicks it from it and goes, Give me that, children. We know someone who I told looked like the Honey Monster if he'd killed a person and put his skin on. And he found that quite offensive. So never mind. Do I know Sorry. this person? Yeah, you do. I'll tell you. Like, but he's a big guy. <laughs> Sorry, big guy. <laughs> I wrote that. Um, it turned out later, Stefan. You could probably guess. What was Herman Urban's real job? What year was this? It was 1936. Was he a Nazi? <laughs> he was a Nazi. <laughs> oh God! Not just a Nazi. He was a Nazi spy. For God's sake. And a card-carrying member of the Nazi party. Oh Jesus! Also pre-Angelus, before Germany kind of like absorbed Austria. Yeah. Um, he was thrown out of Austria for dressing up as Hitler all the time oh, because he idolised him. Oh, no. <laughs> if you look at photos of Herman Urban, he looks like the baddie out of the first Indiana Jones. He sounds like a baddie out of the like, first He's got little glasses on and a scar on his cheek. And Errol Flynn thought, this guy's okay. <laughs> we look at him and think, how? How did you think this guy was all right? I, don't, I didn't want to say anything, but when you say like an eccentric Austrian <laughs> Austrian doctor Herman Erber, yeah, it just sounds like an Indiana now, Jones. In case we've offended any Austrians, I think we should kind of make amends slightly. You're for not all except yeah, the true. fact that we've been joking about Nazis in Austria, and I think a, a little song is in order. Well, every morning you greet. I think we should small and white. Clean and bright, you look happy to meet me. I mean, in defence of Austrian people, they're not all doctors. Some are admirals, others are nuns who look after children. Others are are Arnold Schwarzenegger. Some are really good at basement DIY. I think that is the extent... Oh, Jesus Christ. That's the extent of my exposure to Austria, because I haven't been like... 
One was a nun who looked after some kids, and one was a spy. Or did you know that there's going to be a new Zeus film coming out starting on Arnold Schwarzenegger? Oh, you know, oh, yes. you know, we weren't going to derail this because there's people <laughs> who will find that a history podcast. This will be good. Well, do you like Wednesdaydale? Arnold Schwarzenegger, he's big. <laughs> he's got <laughs> big arms. There are some kinds of cheese that don't sell on the rim. You're quite <laughs> right, right man. Made with so this German Renner. fellow, this German fellow, got kicked out of Austria for dressing as Hitler, and he was advising our. Uh, well, he basically he, he basically approached. Or Flynn, like, oh, they don't take you seriously, Flynn, old boy. And he suggested, <laughs> well, he said, like, this guy claimed to be a doctor. Then he said he was also a photojournalist. And he said, you write the stories, I'll take the photos. Was he a photogenic journalist? Oh, he did something with genetics. Who bloody knows? <laughs> no, yeah. Um, but yeah, uh, it turns out the whole point in being there, Flynn wrote all these articles. Mysteriously, he um, Urban only wanted to talk to German-speaking fighters on the Republican side, and he took all their photos. Oh. After they lost the war and these people snuck back into Germany, Urban, who turned out to be in the Gestapo, had these people tracked down and murdered. Oh, he was God. in the Gestapo. Yeah. So not worrying. He, he wasn't just like the fun LOLO Nazis. He was the full-on <laughs> scary one. <laughs> there, You'd have to, to be fair, the LOLO Nazis were quite fun. They, they were. to think there's a weird... He might not be the best judge of character when it comes to his Yeah, surprisingly, I think this man might have been a bit eccentric. <laughs> Um, What's but... he doing on this podcast? <laughs> but yeah, um, this has led to accusations that Flynn himself was a Nazi spy for years. If you watch the film The Rocketeer, the baddie in that's actually based on him. But um, from <laughs> Three Musketeers with Oliver Reed. No, The Rocketeer. It's this Rocketeer, man... sorry. It's, I actually, it's actually really good. It's this guy in the 30s who's got a rocket on his back. And Timothy Dalton's like Errol Flynn. <gasps> and he's oh, yeah. just being like, oh, I want to get that rocket boy. Stop him. I'm a Nazi. Ooh. Uh, but yeah. <laughs> uh, but um, I'm a Nazi. From, from looking through biographies, most likely he was completely apolitical and selfish. Okay. He just went to Spain because he thought this would be good for me. Yeah, to get away uh, from his This wife, new apparently. section is called Hollywood Drinking Stories in Excess. Oh, yes. Oh, I like the sound should, of this Should we put this a pause be... in? Oh, we can do. We... Go for a wee. So, this section is called Hollywood Drinking Stories in Excess. Oh, yeah. That's the theme. That's what oh, we've yeah. been trying to get to, but he oh, won't yeah. let me. We're on to the good stuff. Uh, well, after he broke up, well, he kind of hid from Lily Demeter. In he... Spain. Uh, no, he came back from Spain and he moved in with what? David Niven. David, the David Niven, the, the fancy fancy man. Oh my God! Uh, they bought a, pa- a batch of the pad together that <laughs> was known locally as cirrhosis by the sea, <laughs> and it was just in the 1930s. It was the ultimate party house. Um, Can you still? Is it still there? Yeah, it's still there. Uh, David Niven basically knew Errol Flynn was a bad friend, but he said that he was an enchanting creature. And he said, one marvellous thing about Errol was that you always knew exactly where you were with him because he would always let you down. Oh, <laughs> so, reliably unreliable. Yeah, so there's one story that David Niven tells. Well, he told, he's dead now. He said that he <laughs> told Errol Flynn, Nancy's coming, well, I, I can't do their voices, but he basically said, Nancy's coming around this evening. For God's sake, Errol, don't mention Betty. And then when Nancy came round... So it was Betty then? Well, no, he answered the... <laughs> Well, apparently he answered the door pissed and went, Ah, Nancy, David says that I'm not to mention Betty while you're here. Is that not the fault of the person? If they know him well enough, is that don't, not their fault? Don't give him a job to do it. If it's like, Errol, don't have sex with this pencil sharpener. He'd be like, Oh, David! It's five inches up by us already. <laughs> I've had an accident. less than you'd expect. 
<laughs> I've got half a stationary box in my prostate. Have you got a ruler? <laughs> uh, Flynn, who, who took Niven... I have just worked it out with a pencil. Uh, here's, uh, here's Use one... another pencil to prize it out. <laughs> here's another boy story. Uh, Flynn apparently quite liked David Niven's girlfriend, Ooh. so he took them both out in his speedboat for a nice date. And sort of said, oh, you're a lovely couple, I'll take you out of my boat. He then <laughs> told <laughs> David Niven about um, water skiing and said, oh, give it a go. And he pushed he, him over the edge. No, he did it for a bit and then he dropped the rope and he left him in the sea. Oh, and no. he drove off with his girlfriend. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, that's a very direct way of getting what he wants. Well, apparently David Niven was picked up by another boat and when he got back to the house, he was quite angry. And he said, this is why you couldn't be angry at Errol Flynn. Because Errol Flynn would just laugh at your misfortune. But he said... I could have died, Errol. You left me in the sea. I could have drowned. Another boat picked me up. Ah! <laughs> you drowned him. Wouldn't that be a laugh, eh? It sounds like a bit of a prick. He might. He does, doesn't he? He might have been a bit of a psychopath. Uh, <laughs> this is an example of being a psychopath. They had all these mad parties at the house. Errol insisted that above his bedroom, there should be a two-way circular mirror mounted in the ceiling. <laughs> In the I've known a woman who had a mirror on her ceiling. Oh, no, really? that's not Anyone good. There? That's Anyone not good. I know. Well, Errol Flynn. Give had... us non specific details. No. <laughs> <laughs> there was a woman and she did things, but not anyone. <laughs> it, was, it wasn't an Auntie Betty, was it? I hope. No, 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 no. Still, we can't mention not, her. You can't not mention supposed Betty. to mention Auntie Betty. Well, yeah. Um, basically, uh, Errol had this designed and he called it the Jerk Off Room and he had seating in the loft so they could watch. Written guests. by Stephen Jerk Off. Christ. <laughs> Stephen Jacob. Uh, despite all this, Flynn was still desperate to be taken seriously. Uh, there was a Hollywood gossip columnist called Hedda Hopper, okay. and she wrote a column making fun of him. So he turned up on her doorstep and started masturbating furiously. Okay, her, okay. Which in modern Hollywood is, well, they probably all do it, but you're not going to Just don't put it well, on Instagram. This is the bizarre thing. She started laughing at him because she was like, this is ridiculous, which made him angrier and angrier. So he continued wanking until he finished. And then apparently... How, what do you mean finished? Well, I'm, I'm sure you are. I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, I don't understand. You know, the, the, nighttime, the nighttime shame we, that one. Uh, yeah. Uh, carry on. Sorry. Uh, apparently, when he finished, he made a dignified exit. And these days, he'd call the police. But for her, she was like, "That was weird." And then, yeah. Um, right, this section is my favourite. It's called John Barrymore. John Barrymore was Hollywood royalty. He was a very famous Shakespearean actor. Because uh, Flynn had problems with Daddy, um, he became his new father figure. He was a father figure to somebody else, wasn't he? John Barrymore. Yes. Well, he had a lot of children. Presumably um, to his children, yes. Yeah. Well, <laughs> oh, not what I meant. Oh, I don't mind. Well, apparently um, Flynn was on the Warner Brothers lot in the studio and he found what he thought was a homeless man. And it was just a drunken half-asleep man lying on a bench wearing a 16th century costume. Sounds like me. Apparently he woke up and went, Ah, dear boy, you must get me a drink. And thought, <laughs> oh, this is the start that of it. That does sound like me. <laughs> yeah. Well, here's some stories about Flynn and Barrymore. Uh Barry... I'm sorry, so was one of them dressed in the costume, did you say? Uh, Barrymore was. He, oh, he wasn't okay. on set. He was in the studio, but he just <laughs> wandered off drunk and sleep on a bench. I'm going to burp. <clears throat> That's oh, that. pardon me. Flynn was just, who's this mad homeless man? Uh, Barrymore, who became his new sort of mentor, 
was once so drunk that he slept through the great San Francisco earthquake of 1906. <laughs> Do you want to know something, right? So every time we've had an earthquake that you could feel in the UK, I've slept through it every single time. Well, an earthquake in the UK is like this. Whoa. Yeah, but like the, I always assumed it was far more dramatic because I've never actually felt one. <laughs> well, so it, I'd wake up and Simon, my mum would say, oh, there was an earthquake last night, Stefan. Simon like, oh, rocked the table a little bit just for those who can't see. Yeah, if you've never heard the, the San Francisco earthquake of 1906, it basically levelled the city. Wow. Oh, wow. It killed oh, okay. thousands, but it was a nightmare. Um, Barrymore became his surrogate father figure. And also, when he was having marriage problems, moved into the mansion for three weeks. The, uh, what do they call it? Uh, Cirrhosis by the Sea. Yeah. This was too much for Flynn, though. This is kind of like nature's revenge on Flynn. My God, that man had a threshold. That's amazing. Someone out, no matter how terrible you are, someone out there is worse than you. There's always a bigger fish. Well, well, Barrymore had a disdain for toilets. Big goober fish. Yeah. And he insisted on urinating out the window instead. Um, <laughs> Flynn and Nibble had to uh, Nibble and Niven had to ask him to stop doing this because his urine was removing the varnished paint from the wall. <laughs> Wait, he was pissing out the window of what? Sorry, of their house, and it was dribbling down the wall, and it was just like bubbling up and eating away at the paint. Acidic piss. Wasn't yeah. Well, he asked him like, "Please stop this." Um, his response was, "Say certainly, my lad," and then he started pissing in the fireplace and wardrobes. Oh, really? Um, we had a cat like that once. If it's well, pissed one in thing, the fireplace. It would always lay a shit outside my oh. dad's wardrobe in the same place every time. If there's one thing about a guy that annoys me, it's when he's pissing on all my furniture. Yeah, that's. I once broke up with someone when I was a student because she did a wee on the sofa and I thought, this won't go far. I yeah. feel like there's a story there, but I'm not going to ask. Yeah, you. we won't. Um, this is, can I tell you my favourite Barrymore? <laughs> Yeah, if you're into that. I mean, fucking jackpot. <laughs> she'll piss on anything. Um, Sounds yeah, interesting. Favourite Barrymore story. He once accused Flynn of trying to kill him. Because <laughs> Barrymore was so drunk that he fell into one of these wardrobes. Something. He couldn't get did out. he drown his own piss? No, I wish he did. Uh, but a load of coats fell on him. And then something that was quite broad and light. And he started freaking out and shouting... Flynn, you bastard, you filled this wardrobe with bats. You filled <laughs> it with bats to haunt me. That's a weird link to my guy. That's why as I put well. it in. And they were saying, like, no, that, and what these bats were were um, coat hangers. <laughs> um, also, last John Barrymore, actually, no, not last John Barrymore story. Um, when he was out with Flynn, even Errol Flynn reached his limit. Barrymore always went into the women's toilets. Um, just That's... because he was a drunken, naughty man, he uh, he loved weeing in the sink there. Uh, once... What is it with this guy? I don't know, he just loved weeing on things. Uh, one society lady once said to him, "These, this is for ladies. Uh, Barrymore turned around showing her his willy and said, so is this, my dear, but, some, but sometimes I have to run a little water through it. I mean that's that's terrible, but quite yeah. witty. Why but do also I feel really like bloody awful? Why do I feel like this segment is going to get us struck down from you? Yeah, team? I mean <laughs> disclaimer time. Don't show you well to people. That's not. We're not going to get monetized for this. Yeah, uh, we don't. No, we'll never be monetized. Well, the thing is, he's fascinating and terrible, but he was also very witty. But I wouldn't endorse it. Like if he was like your uncle and he turned up at Christmas, like ah, here's my knob. Are we on your cards? Like you wouldn't <laughs> like him at all. <laughs> so, You're an absolute card. Uh, well, he did die in 1942 from Yay! from drinking. <laughs> Way. Um, oh, he didn't die from over pissing or something. 
He, he probably pissed himself Urinary again. infection. I didn't know. him off like Tycho Brahe. Oh, poor Tycho. Um, Flynn went to a party and he was very upset and he just said, "We." they kind of left on bad terms because he was like, get out of my house. He <laughs> said, I just wish I could see him one more time, you know, and all this stuff. You know that drunk people say when they're sad. Don't work yeah. me out. Um, some of his cronies had a funny plan. So they left saying they were too upset to have any fun. Like, oh, we miss Barrymore. We can't enjoy this party. Um, while Flynn was at the bar, they dug up Barrymore oh. and propped him up in a chair in Flynn's hallway. Jesus Christ. So when... <laughs> Holy shit. I mean, that's actually a step beyond, isn't it? So when Errol Flynn came home, uh, the body of John Barrymore was there. Is this true? Yeah. <laughs> Apparently, Errol Flynn ran out of the house screaming and he was very upset. Because he pulled pranks on people, but he didn't like it when pranks were done to him. So but he could dish out, but he couldn't take it, the bastard. Oh, this, this sissy. Some, just because someone took his father figure, dug him up and put him in a chair in his house. He's upset. Ooh. So Errol couldn't take this kind of weirdness. <laughs> oh, my God. Okay. Uh, I've got he some, seems relatively straight-laced uh, to me. I've got some lighter heart stories now. Um, on the set of Don Juan, which was like a film... That he was in because he was a film man. Yeah, uh, he was so drunk that he couldn't sit on his horse properly. Oh, I want to see this. Yeah, it's good. So actually, it's well funny if you watch it because you can tell he's drunk. Um, stage hands had to hold him up out of shot on the horse, <laughs> so he'd be. You can't. You can only see the horse's ears. And Errol Flynn be like, "Ah, you must be the Countess." <laughs> and you can sort of tell. <laughs> um, wonderful, wonderful. This was around the term in like Flynn came in because he was a single man now. He had 12,000 lovers, according what to What happened Flynn. to his wife? Uh, they divorced Fair because he, uh, he had a lot of affairs. He bought a boat and the crew were Another all his one. friends. Well, why is it always about Oliver Reed had his Chinese his joke? Yeah. Well, this I, guy had a boat. Well, Oliver Reed idolised Errol Flynn, so that kind of explains oh, it. Oh, that's true. Um, oh. His, basically, the crew of his yacht. Um, were all his friends and he gave them all a badge with FFF and the symbol of a willy on it because he was well into willies and what does FFF stand for? Flynn's Flying Fuckers <laughs> <laughs> going back to his um, days in Northampton Flynn always left his dressing room door open and he would be in the nude to try and get um, ladies who worked at the studio interested in him like, like oh, oh I'm a sexy man like a worm on a hook yeah like oh no I've dropped my towel I'll try oh. and entice them in with my brazen manliness yeah around this time this shows his issues his father got on a boat from Tasmania to see him and reconcile with him oh god uh, he went in to see him Flynn was having sex with a lady in his dressing room he said <laughs> with the door open yeah and he said take a seat dad I shan't be long <laughs> <laughs> oh my god <laughs> Oh. Um, this is one positive story just to even it out uh, the actress Betty Davis wasn't impressed by his charms and once okay. in a film set slapped him so hard that he threw up oh wow that's uh, there are those modern day slap competitions aren't they oh they're brutal I would have loved to well, see her she was playing that. Elizabeth I and she didn't like Harold Flynn because he was like Betty Davis I'm a sexy man I'm going to do a sex with you and she'd be like no you're horrible go away and he that's... wouldn't stop I feel like that's quite fitting for Elizabeth I. Yeah, uh, well, she wore all these massive rings as part of her costume, so in the script it was like, she slapped Essex lightly, and she backhanded him as hard as, he, as she could, Oof. and knocked him over. And you know how Errol Flynn didn't like being humiliated? <laughs> um, probably unlike Herman Irvin, who was well into it. Um, he <laughs> he um, basically said, called her out in front of everyone and said, that's not fair, you hit me too hard. But because he was a 30s action man, the entire crew laughed at him because she said, oh, you can't take a hit from a little woman. 
and that sent him into a rage. You just Betty got did. knocked the fuck out. Yeah, but I'm, I'm quite fond of Betty Davis. She was cool. Uh, return to Hollywood. This was when his career went good. Uh, he was okay. cast in The Adventures of Robin Hood, the technical film from 1938. Which I've seen. Um, unfortunately for Flynn, he didn't get on with the app, with the director, who was a mad Hungarian man called Michael Curtiz, who would often shout at people and said he wanted action! Action! Realism! So on the set, this is a fun story about the film. Um, Michael Curtiz didn't like the way the arrows looked in films, oh. so he hired an Olympic archer... And he put the extras in really padded clothes and he had them actually shot with arrows. This is the guy that oh, we've heard shit. about. You mentioned this before. I think I did, yeah. yeah, you, yeah. There's actually a YouTube video um, that's got the guy in it. It was like a um, film the studio put out like, here's a stuntman behind all our arrow shots. And yeah, every time there's an arrow shot in that film, that person's actually being shot. And I think I've said before, you can tell which extra's going to die because it's the guy who looked really tubby because they put him in padding. That's yeah. the guy. <laughs> um, also, um, oh. return to a recurring theme. We, we keep banging on about it. We like doing a sword fight because we're nerds. Um, Have we mentioned we do yeah, battle? We, we, we mentioned it we a mentioned lot. That. Um, these swords were metal and blunt, but as we all know, because we've all got scars, if you get hit in the head or the face, it'll still cut you up. Oh, yeah. Um, Concussive Amundo. Yeah, these swords all had rubber tips, but the director, <laughs> se- rubber tips, secretly had them removed. And he said to the behind, he said to the props department, I must have realism, realism! Oh, God. And Errol Flynn was cut by one of them, went mad. And if you watch the film, there are these really, really tall staircases that they built for it. Right. Flynn chased Curtis all because he hated being humiliated, all the way to the top of them, 50 feet. And then hung him off the stage, the scenery, <laughs> by the neck, shouting, Is this real for you? Is this real, man? Just like Oliver Reed. <laughs> Do you like that boy about the well, spikes? Oliver, really, Oliver Reed was obsessed with Errol Flynn, so it kind of shows. Yeah. World War Two. It all comes around. Ooh. Damaged Flynn's reputation quite badly, and he never recovered from it. What, uh, apart from associating with known Nazis? Well, that as well. Well, no, Errol Flynn was Hollywood tough man, uh, but he had terrible health. So when he was making films, the studios would lose days of footage because days of shooting because he'd collapse on set because he did a lot. He drank a lot and he did a lot of sex and he caught a lot of diseases. So he had an enlarged heart. He already had gonorrhea. And he had an, he had a recurring case of malaria, which is from his time. Should have drunk more gin and tonics. Should have had more gin. That'll solve that. Yes. And also he had spots on his lungs from TV, so he was declared. For F and fit Spots for service. on his lungs. So if you see, you know, the Captain America film at the start, you know, when he's trying to get in the army, they're like, no, nah, you're no good, you're, you're weird and tiny. That was Errol Flynn. The, but he was such a dab hand with a sword. That's the thing, though. He was very athletic, but for about 30 seconds, and then they stopped filming, oh, and no. then he'd lie down the start again. That's a shame. Uh, so people used to make fun of him a lot, which he hated. So Flynn wrote a letter to President Roosevelt offering... To go spying for him in Ireland, <laughs> which doesn't for Roosevelt in Ireland, which makes no sense. He said he basically said if if you give me an American army uniform and I'm a famous actor, I can go places and not be suspected. Um, there was no reply, and really he wanted the uniform. And Ireland was neutral, which makes no sense. He's saying I've got a dangerous job in mind. I'm going to go to a neutral country. <laughs> um, why, why Ireland? That's why. Well, he claimed to be Irish, which he wasn't. <laughs> um, the salt was rubbed in this wound because David Niven spent the war as a commando, which is yeah. very hard to get into. Um, this is where it all started to go hill for 
downhill for Flynn. He kind of made up for this uh, by having lots and lots of affairs and boozing a lot. Yeah. In October 1942, he was arrested and accused of raping two 15-year-old girls. Okay. This is sad. Okay. Yeah, sorry. Sorry, this was War a Wartime fun... antics. Yeah, this oh. was a uh, fun podcast and that came up. Yeah. Uh, true to form, he had plans to be smuggled out of the country if he was found guilty. But the, the studio, because Hollywood at this time had old-timey fixers, and they had this man called Jerry Geisler, which is a very 30s name. Because <laughs> back then, they were, ah, he's my cousin Jerry. Yeah. Um, it sounds like that director of Conan the Barbarian. Yeah. Ah, it's movie-making now. Um, basically, they had this Hollywood legal troubleshooter who dragged these girls' names through the dirt, so he was found innocent, oh and really he did it. Um, however, this is mad. He was found innocent, but during the trial, he met his new teenage wife, Nora Eddington, who was 18 and worked in a cigarette kiosk in the courthouse. Okay. So imagine he was being done for sleeping with teenagers. Went, Hello, I'm Errol Flynn. How old are you? 80. Oh, no. Yeah, oh, he was uh, quite I mean, a bad man. I mean, carrying on uh, with things we said before, these sound like entertaining blokes most of the time because of their career, but Errol really Flynn you was, wouldn't want them anywhere near you. Errol Flynn was legitimately a bad man, which is where this gets sad. Bad uh, bloody to, bloke. To cheer it up, here's the big willy myth. Um, there was a big myth that he had a big old willy. Was it uh, a big myth or just a regular size myth? Well, you we'll have see. a mighty mallet. Well, uh, well, that's what uh, Lily Oliver Reed called it. I know this. he did. Yeah. Uh, well, he once had a gigantic plastic one made by a prop department <laughs> so he could use it to frighten director Vincent Sherman. <laughs> so apparently he called him into his dressing room and like, Vincent, I'm not happy with this script. Vincent, look at this. And then he dropped his towel and he had this gigantic <laughs> oh. plastic knob and oh no oh my um, towel literally slapping your dick on the table <laughs> yeah. well that this is where it gets statement. interesting um apparently according to his biographer who often went swimming with him in the nude for some reason of course his penis was unremarkable it was short and rather stout well uh, he'd just been swimming it might have been cold yeah well his various wives have said it was just normal but flynn really played with a myth and he'd play it up uh, during another incident with Sherman on the set of Don Juan, Flynn insisted that his costume jacket be shortened so that it was above his weight, his waist. So he said, like, <laughs> the audience bells. wants to see my bulge. And the director was saying, no, no, no the, the costume has to cover your bulge. <laughs> and then eventually the studio came with a compromise <laughs> where they said, all right, you can have this costume above your waist, but you have to tape it away, sort of like a drag queen or like a ballet man. And okay. Flynn's quote was, he said to the director, My dear boy, I have done many terrible things for Warner Brothers, but I will not tape up my cock. I will not cover my bulge. <laughs> so I like that that's where he draws the line. Like, I've been a slaver. I've slept with underage girls. Yeah. I've hurt people, but I will not tape up my willy. Mm. How dare you? Also, <laughs> my friend was an artist bar and I got a lot of people killed. Jesus. But I will not tape up my willy. That's got to have a code, no matter how twisted it may be. <laughs> well, I've done a bit of research and I think I've found where um, this myth comes from. Jesus. Where he might have got the idea. Because Flynn like, kind of leaked it to the press a bit. Yeah. He had a friend while he lived in this wacky party house who was an old cowboy man <laughs> called OK Freddy. <laughs> Yeah, he, if you look at pictures of OK Freddy, he looks like a child's drawing of an old cowboy. And apparently, whenever there's an old man in Westerns in the 20s and 30s, it'd be OK Freddy. It turns out OK Freddy, who was about 80, actually had a gigantic knob. 
Uh, Flynn uh, Niven thought this was the funniest thing they'd ever seen. I, I don't know how it came about. <laughs> what? So they conjured up a load of pranks involving OK Freddy's giant willy. Uh, this ended when they got him to dress up like a butler and carry a plate full of sausages at his waist oh, at a party. Unfortunately, oh, no. one drunken female visitor didn't notice this and stabbed it with a fork. Sirs and bloody right. <laughs> so apparently they were like, this will be funny, send out Freddy. And then she was like, oh, sausages, and just stabbed it. Oh, she didn't just go, get away from me, you No, weirdo. she just saw all these like cold cuts of meat and didn't notice there was a big willy in the middle and went, oh, this one looks good, and just stabbed it with a fork. That actually sounds like a Billy Connolly bit, though, I remember when he's talking about a salad buffet and he gets his knob out and covers it in salad and whole he said, Christ. don't put balsamic vinegar on your bell end because it'll burn like yeah, hell. Yeah, disclaimer time. Don't pretend that your knob is part of a display of cold cuts because someone might stamp with a fork. Very much. Uh, we're getting to the end now. This is called Later Life in Exile. Ooh. Around this period. Exile. <laughs> exile. Uh, exile. Well, the, the trial kind of ruined his reputation, rightly so, because he did do it. Yeah. Uh, Flynn's drinking on set grew worse. He was banned from drinking on set, so he started to inject oranges with vodka. What? He, okay. made, he got a little syringe and he injected vodka into oranges and he'd eat the oranges. I feel like this man <laughs> would have been in the Hellraisers club if he yeah. if it was in his time. Never, never underestimate the lengths to which a man will go to booze. Um, inept, alcoholic uh, deviousness will stoop to. Well, it's kind of like, you know, in the 70s, MI6 had to smuggle booze into like um, big diplomatic conferences in the Middle East. Mm-hmm. Because they had people there who just couldn't function without booze. Like, ah, I have to have something. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but also, um, here we go, back to this. While making a film for Warner Brothers <laughs> in the 70s, Michael Caine discovered Michael Caine. booze was still Fine, banned Michael on Caine. set. You're only supposed to blow their bloody doors off. <laughs> yeah, this was, well, apparently he wanted just a beer with his lunch, and he got told Flynn did that. And he was like, I just want a beer with my, with sure. my chicks. He was very upset. Uh, on the set of Don Juan, because he was this was when he was quite drunk. Flynn was so oh no, I've read that. Um it was he got good reviews for Don Juan and they just said this was a very flamboyant performance. <laughs> and it got to a point where they could only film him in the mornings, and if you watch a film, anything where it's getting dark, he can't do his lines. Yeah. So there's one where he meets these sort of Spanish gentlemen at a roadside and he's on his horse and it's dark. And he's gone just like, I'm on a mission from the king. He was quite a drunk man. Um, he also prepared back, claimed to have s- he claimed to have sinus trouble, and he always carried around an inhaler. This later turned out to be full of vodka and cocaine. <laughs> oh my god! Uh, he well, also how, what? How would you put liquid in an inhaler? I don't know. I, su- I assume it was like one of those mist things. I don't know. Uh, um, like a nebulizer. Maybe. Yeah. So. He also believed that he had superhuman willpower. <laughs> So he just superhuman willy power apparently. Well, allegedly, um, he God. decided to get into opium, claiming he was strong enough to beat it. Is that a decision you make? Well, turns out, turns out he couldn't beat it, and uh, he got very addicted to it. And he used to sit up at night with a revolver, sort of. Uh, uh, okay. Nearly okay. doing. Okay. Surprisingly, the opium destroyed his marriage. Um, in... <laughs> oh, I can't think why that might have happened. Probably oh, all the drugs. Must have, must have been the, the weird paintings I hung around the living room. <laughs> well, in 1952, he was sat by Warner Brothers and he had to go to Europe. He tried to produce yeah. and star in a film based on William Tell. The funding fell through. 
All of his belongings, except for his yacht, were seized to pay for the debts. <laughs> Did he swim out to the yacht and just grasp it with well, both no. hands saying, not the yacht, no, not after, the yacht? After this, he lived on his yacht and he just lived on the run from the tax man. He oh. just, he was, he went to the high seas again. So, a model human being, as yeah. usual. Oh, here's a fun thing. Because Christopher Lee knew everyone. Christopher okay. Lee always turns up in these. Good old Chris. We, we haven't done Christopher Lee. Well, because Christopher Lee because wasn't mad. He was a very He wasn't mad man. at all. He was one of the most sensible individuals yeah. in history. This informs Oliver Reed, though. Um, they were making a film called Cross Swords in 1954. Ooh. Errol Flynn was so drunk that he swung a sword at Christopher Lee and broke one of his fingers. <laughs> Just sort of went like, ah! Shit. But apparently, he, I watched a documentary where Christopher, this is on YouTube, Christopher Lee holds his hand up and he has one finger really badly bent. He said, that's my souvenir from Errol Flynn. And he said that he was so charming that he couldn't hold it against him. That sounds like quite <laughs> sordid behaviour. Like, sorry, old boy. Yeah, he was just, oh, it. old boy, I'm terrible, aren't I? I feel like um, that was lost on both of you. To yeah. be fair, we had that happen in our society once, and the guy didn't hold it against him, so yeah. That's all right, then. Um, <laughs> on, the, on another film, um, the director asked when... Oh, wait, um, sorry, this is around this time, he collapsed on set... Again, matter like this, um, an old-time Hollywood producer was sent to the hospital and asked, you know, when can Errol work again? Um, <laughs> the doctor said, if he drinks again, he'll die, <laughs> and he's dying now. He's got about five days. <laughs> Jack Cardiff, who was a British cameraman, was horrified because he said the producer just went, "You don't understand. We're making a movie. We're making a movie. We're making a movie. Oh, we're making a movie." Uh, the next day, though, Flynn returned to set with a pint of vodka. Oh, no. So to show up, like, ah, boys, I'm fine. Apparently, his liver had stopped working. Like, Jeez. the doctor said he has no liver. He probably went grey or something. Yeah, yeah, he got very old and very fat. Um, he still fitted in some fun, though. Uh, he made a film called Roots of Heaven in French Equatorial Africa. I think that's Senegal now. I'm not sure. Oh, okay, yeah. Uh, the set supply of alcohol ran out <laughs> and had to be airlifted in. <laughs> Sorry, I... Oh. Actor Mark Dolitz said in three months he had drunk all the whiskey in Africa. I'm sorry, he was going to die in five days. And then it he doesn't had three, make sense. And then three months later, he drank this, Africa out of whiskey. This reminds me of it. I'm night. sorry, I thought I'd written everything that I needed to about this man, but drank Africa out of whiskey. Here's the that. maddest part, though, of this whole story. Flynn anticipated that there might not be enough booze on set, so at the start of filming, he brought along 12 cases of vodka for his personal use. <laughs> so he drunk all that and went oh no I'll have to drink the whiskey now I suppose um, we're right at the end now um, <laughs> Flynn had one last bit of fun um, he with no money just living on his yacht he went to Jamaica where he won a hotel and a game of cards <laughs> so things started looking up for him unfortunately <laughs> he released a crocodile into the swimming pool oh, okay actually no i got that wrong sorry he released an alligator into the town's main street terrifying <laughs> local people and then he crashed his cadillac into the swimming pool oh jesus yeah oh um keith moon did that didn't he he did he no, they crashed were all his car in... into a swimming pool yeah <laughs> the, the thing is errol flynn he knocked was... himself out running slipping on birthday cake errol flynn was a bad bad Bad, 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 man. terrible yeah. motherfucker. But in 1958, he wrote his memoirs called "My Wicked, Wicked Ways," where he basically confessed everything. When what, I'm a bastard. How many years did he what? survive till, uh, since he had five days left? Like um, um about four. So yeah, <laughs> oh, no, Jesus. Right. Um, it wasn't Amazing. all wasn't all bad for Errol though at this time. 
Uh, this is, you know, after he was found innocent in that big trial and he ruined these girls' lives. Yeah. You know, he had their names oh. dragged through the mud, like their lives That's... and their families were ruined. Yeah. Because he was like, I'm an innocent man, how dare you? Uh, on well. set, on a new film, he met 15-year-old dancer Beverly Adland, Bloody who well. became his new girlfriend. So the madness of, I would never do such a thing. This is my new girlfriend, she's 15. Yeah. It's insane. How old was he? The audacity. He was 50. Okay. Yeah. Uh, actually, no. Sorry, he was forty-eight. So, oh, it wasn't that oh, bad. Was oh, right. wasn't that bad. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, just a bounder in a cat. She was with him when he died, age fifty, in nineteen fifty-nine. Apparently, he died because he was on his way to sell his boat and he couldn't bear it and he had a heart attack. <laughs> uh, I love that. It like, broke his he's, heart. he's hurt all these people, but like, not the boat. Not the boat. No, not the boat. I, I, I called it. Um. He, well. He was 50 when he died. Let uh, me smear my old face along the wooden grain of the hole. <laughs> the, doctor was con- the doctor was convinced he was in his 80s. Um, oh also, he was buried with six bottles of whiskey. Before I finish, <laughs> do you want a story about how David Lemon <laughs> saved his life or are we done? Yeah, go on. Um, well, apparently, there was a Hollywood producer who started stalking an actress. Like, they do it now. They did it then. It's always been horrible and seedy there. Uh, Let's get it out. Get it out of show business. This this, um, direct, this producer turned up at the house saying he was obsessed with this actor woman. I've forgotten her name. And he said, she's in there with Flynn, isn't she? And the Niven, who was very charming, came out and said, oh, my dear boy, Flynn would never do such a thing. He's a married man. He wouldn't, he wouldn't be with her. Oh. No, please. And the man was like, oh, you're right. I'll go home. Apparently the next day he saw this woman with somebody else in a car park and shot him in the balls. What? So, oh, yeah, wow. David Niven saved his life. Yeah. Oh, Christ. Because he probably had that gun with him then at the time, yeah. yeah. Probably would have been better for everyone if he died in the 30s, really. Cause probably. Hurt a lot of people. <laughs> he he was a bad man. He down in his prime during yeah. the Spanish War. But he was funny. But, yeah, yeah, don't, don't be like him. He was real bad, well, naughty man. That, I think that qualifies as pretty mad. That's one of the best ones we've ever had, I think. Yay! Um, so, it's a uh, it's a high bar that's been set, Matt. Well, Ooh. I have someone who can potentially beat that. But well, we'll we're see pause what happens in the next half. Because I need a way. Very good. So, so, welcome back to a section we like to call Ask Doug. He's a nice that's man right. who has a functioning life. And every few months, Stefan phones him up and says, Doug, Doug would you eat your mum? Would and you? And I, I assume <laughs> that, given it's been quite a long time since our last episode, he thinks he's safe, but he's a, he's a bit of a spoiler. He did, really isn't. Did you fool. phone him up the once fool. when he was on a date and you asked him if he'd drink cow out of a... you drink milk out of a cow? Yeah, to hide in the toilet. I don't think so. No, he, he, did, he was having a meal with his family and we asked him to tell us the story about the time that a gay man hit on him and he accidentally let him on. But that was quite nice, though. Anyway, no, anyway let, let's ring him. Let's he ring him and we'll ask him drinks out of that man. He should have paid him back. Let's phone him and we'll ask him some questions relating to the man we've just discussed, but not specifically. Doug, Doug, Doug. Phone him up. His name's the past tense for digs. It's a good gig. Hello. Doug. Douglas! Dougie boy. My dear boy, Doug. Doug. It's ringing. I know it's ringing. Do you remember the night we spent under the stars, Doug? (laughs) Do you remember the tender moments of youth (laughs) stained with the butter butter drips from crumpets? Hello, this is Douglas. Unable to come to the phone right now. Please leave me. Told you. Told you. Told you he's busy having a life. He's having a life. Told you. Lads, we're going to try one more time. Just one more. Just one more. 
He's probably awake or something. He's always I'm doing sure. he's always doing family stuff, isn't he? I'm sure there's a level at which this isn't quite legal, but <laughs> it's, it's technically harassment. But we've never. Fine. We do actually like this guy. I've never got a tattoo of him and turn up at his house yet. <laughs> Not yet. Tab. One day we'll all do it. Tab. Love you. Bye. Yeah, this isn't going to work, is it? It's not going to happen. Give him time. Give him time. Chop this out like a Veruca, it's shit. Hello, this is Douglas. Unable to come. You won't get him. You won't get him. That's fine. When he rings me back, we'll have it sorted. No, no, he did you, last time. You've got to tell him beforehand. No, that, that ruins the fun. This is oh. the problem. We'll just cut and paste anyway, this well, in. Well, we'll stop this. And we're back. So we're back again. Yes. Um. <laughs> this might be interrupted because Matt says he's going to have a dramatic shit. No. At any moment. I already did that. It's too oh, late. Oh, in my house. Very good, very good. Right where I sit. So yeah. we've oh. spoken about Earl Flynn for the first half of this podcast. I live here, Matthew. Now Matt is going <laughs> to present his candidate. Who's yours, Matt? Uh, so I have a fantastically... My bathroom window doesn't open. <laughs> I was joking, I was joking. Did you put the fan on? I sprayed some Febreze. It's going to make my curtain smell of shit. You All right, come on, oh. who's your character? <laughs> um, I have a fantastically notorious and popular uh, man called Hunter S. Thompson, oh. the American journalist oh. best known for writing 1971's Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas, if you haven't seen That's, it already. Uh, it's one of my not, dad's favourite books. Actually. I thoroughly recommend it. I think you're going to like it's this one. Great, it's good. And I, I think he can easily rival this shithead that this shithead's yeah. come up with well, shittily. I may be a shithead, but I'm not Errol Flynn. He was actually very naughty. Errol Flynn was a bad man. Errol Flynn. Well, well, he's actually, definitely a bad well, bloody To go back bloke. to Errol Flynn, if he was found guilty in 1942, which he should have been, he would have got 150 years in jail, mm. oh, which wow. meant that his skeleton would still be there. Mm. But oh. um, he got away with it. Well, yeah. on to my guy. Basically, uh, if you don't... Know the man of which I speak. Quite fond of him. Basically, uh, I mentioned he was a very um, counterculture, sort of anti-establishment kind of guy. Uh, unlike many people, where uh, many American stereotypical peoples may be seen to be saying, uh, "I pledge my allegiance to the flag and everything." He was a man who was famous for saying, "The American dream is fucked," and uh, <laughs> publicly. Loudly on microphone, in that 60s, sort of thing. Yeah. So he, he made a lot of ripples, and that's. I'm sort quite of thing. fond of him because he used to wear a croupier's visor all the time, <laughs> which is a classy look. Though I want to come back. Well, what I'm going to do, I'm going to start with a quote. This is from because he was a journalist. This is an editor's note that prefaced one of his works. So, mm-hmm. um, one of his early things. Editor's note. Due to circumstances beyond our control, the following section was lashed together at the last moment from a six-pound, in weight, bundle of documents, <laughs> notebooks, memos, recordings, and secretly taped conversations with Dr. Thompson during a month of erratic behaviour in Washington, New York, Colorado, and Miami. His long-range plan, just doing air quotes here, he says, is to create an entirely new form of journalism. In the meantime, we have suspended his monthly retainer and cancelled his credit card. During one four-day period in Washington, he destroyed two cars, cracked a wall in the Hilton, that's a hotel, purchased two French horns at $1,100 each, nice, and ran through a plate glass door in a Turkish restaurant. 
I'm, I'm, I'm I, sorry. I I'm sorry. Can you just read me those again? I need to make a note of these. I have to say, <laughs> I don't believe that man ever went to medical school. So, <laughs> what was I've before the French horns that he purchased? Uh, in four-day period in Washington, he destroyed two cars. Yeah, but on expenses, if you can get away with one thing. French horn, why not buy two? Okay, so yeah. he destroyed two cars. Cracked a wall in the Hilton Hotel. Yep. In Washington. Purchased two French horns at eleven hundred dollars each. How though? Like, how could he play two at once? He was on drugs. Oh, okay. <laughs> and would, you, would you shift into a French horn? I've never tried. I what, big sure. end or small end? Are they pricey, like second hand? If it's full of like a lonely child spit, you can get it cheap. More <laughs> expensive on the black market. They're all full of spit. We know this. Ran through a plate glass door in a Turkish restaurant. Okay. Uh, supposedly smashing it with his brawny yet slender tall physique. He was quite slim. I would like to say, in defence of Errol Flynn, he was a bad man, he was a slaver, he did terrible things to the underage, but he didn't damage a Turkish restaurant. That's true. Yeah, that's one line he wouldn't step <laughs> beyond. I, lo- I love Shifkan. Got to respect the Turks and their excellent cuisine. Yeah. Okay, I've made a note of this, so please tell us more about Mr. Thompson. So, I've got a brief synopsis uh, to go at the start. Hunter S. Thompson showed a knack for writing at a young age and after high school began his career in journalism while serving in the United States Air Force. Following his military service, Thompson travelled the country to cover a wide array of topics for numerous magazines and developed an immersive, highly personal style of reporting that would become known as Gonzo Journalism. You know, that used to confuse me as a child because I saw Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas too early. And I found out like, well, I child. found out they invented Gosling journalism. I thought that was, you know, the blue guy at Sesame Street. He just sort of goes, ah! Oh. <laughs> yeah. I met a, I met it's a like vulture. E.T. or Sky. You met life. a vulture. I met a vulture once, and it was cool. Wait, what? Yeah. With, well, how how it, do you meet a, a vulture? It, it was a guy who did like falconry. And he had like oh, exotic right, birds, I, and he I, had a vulture. And I said, "What's the vulture's name?" As I was holding it, and he said, "Oh, his name is Gonzo." <laughs> and that just reminded me of this. Was it Cyan Hill? Uh, Ripto- Raptor Sanctuary or whatever. No, okay, it was yeah, at every enactment event down in Essex. I, would I say, also met a vulture and it does similar things. I would say, yeah. we'll edit this out, but I was in the pub around the road, like down the road where we live, where we are here. We're not we'll, editing this we'll edit this We'll edit this out. And there was a man with like a bird of prey on his arm and I thought that was a bit weird. This was the day that my house nearly burnt down and I had to get an electrician round. I was in the pub <laughs> waiting for him because that worked. That makes sense. Um, and they sort of said, oh, it's a bit weird. There was a man in the pub with a bird. And he went, oh, he's got loads of birds. He brings them all around. <laughs> what loads is of this? Birds. This man's hot with the birds. Like, <laughs> who wakes up like, Monday's owl day. Better go to the pub. Yeah. Tuesday, I bring the kestrel. <laughs> he likes the meal deal. <laughs> well, uh, oddly, that kind of might link into my guy. if I Did Hunter S. Thompson like a, a Weatherspoon's meal deal? Well, he, he had a pet minor bird called Edward, oh, which used to say, my name is Edward, or I am Edward. And it, there's something about when he used to book cabs, that used to swear at cab drivers. Or something. <laughs> and uh, when a man went round to make a documentary about him, uh, Hunter S. Thompson used to just bang on the cage saying, he won't talk to me anymore. He's ignoring me. He won't talk to me. And so, Did you see that news story a few years ago where these firefighters got really annoyed because they were trying to get a pigeon off a roof and it just kept swearing at them? Well, this is... Not a pigeon, productive. sorry, it's a parrot, yeah. <laughs> anyway, It's an insult to your profession. You're trying to do your job, and a bird is calling you a cunt. <laughs> yeah. Back, back to Dr. Thompson, who incidentally... He wasn't is, a doctor! 
where he bought his doctorate. Uh, at one point, <laughs> Dr. Thompson, he, he purchased a mail-order doctorate at Divinity. That's amazing, so he was one. Which meant he could legally call himself Dr. Thompson. Are we going to buy Stefan a lordship one day? Which is, Please, incidentally, yeah, yeah. When, when he bought his doctorate, um, there was a neighbour of his, actor Don Johnson from Miami Don Vice Johnson. and Django Unchained. He approached Dr. Thompson oh, one Don day Johnson. and quizzed him on what the sound of one ha- hand clapping was. According to Johnson, Thompson promptly reached out and slapped the man across the head. <laughs> So you know, you know, you know Don Johnson was like yeah. America's tough guy because he was in Miami Vice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He lived. He was at Bath by. Um, so uh, uh, he invented gonzo journalism. He would employ the style in the 1970 book for 1972 book for which he is best known for *In Loathing in Las Vegas*, That's amazing. which is an instant and lasting success. Uh, basically, he was known for a hard driving lifestyle, which invo- involved the heavy and steady use of illicit drugs and an ongoing love affair with firearms. And uh, he was a perpetual counterculture icon. Uh, it was a bit of a synopsis that, well, let me just get into the meat of it. I have to say, Stefan's on his phone! It, is, it was relevant what? to the what? podcast. It was relevant to the podcast. <laughs> Bloody hell, I have got one or two uh, points I didn't realise Tinder well. was part of the podcast. <laughs> if, oh, can you imagine if Hunter S. Thompson was on Tinder? Well, oh, you don't know Can you imagine if I was on Tinder? Well, Jesus luckily, luckily, Errol Flynn... Well, I was trying to do my podcast. I'm Bam. quite glad that Errol Flynn wasn't allowed access to Tinder by time. It's like a weird supercomputer entity that if he was alive now, he'd just infest the whole internet with his... Hello, nonsense. I'm Errol Flynn. Can I diddle your daughter? I'm charming. No, yeah. naughty antivirus <laughs> says no. That's it, what he's built for. It's just a thing on my phone that tells me that I want to date girls with Anywho, nose piercings who are mean. Um, uh, yeah. So, early life. What do you do? Hunter Stockton Thompson was born in Louisville, Kentucky on July the 18th, 1937. His father, Jack, was a World War I veteran and insurance agent who died... That's not funny. I like that you're laughing at him as an insurance agent. (laughs) (laughs) He died whilst Thompson was in high school and his mother, Virginia Thompson, presumably, was an alcoholic left penniless and in charge of their charming but incorrigible son and his two younger brothers. Is it a link that they both had absent fathers? Yeah, I think it is. A bit wacky. Because they both lived lives of excess and well, not his... kicking back against the traces and rebelling. Well, something yeah, that I forgot was... to bring about Errol Flynn was because he had all these health conditions. Uh, when he was in his early 20s, he thought he was dying and he was told he'd got an enlarged heart and he lied to Hollywood about it. So he thought he could die any day. So his idea was, I have to live, live! Yeah. But he lived by doing diabolical Terrible things. things. <laughs> yeah. It's like the epic moment in like A Night's Tale where they go, lash the lance to my arm, I've yeah. got one lash more Lash it to me. arm. What? But he went on doing that for over a decade. The trouble is, what you... I don't like about that is that he just reunited with his father and everything was going to be all right. He'd been knighted. And then he risked his life. It's... I mean, but at the same time, Edward says you tilt when you should withdraw. And I suppose that if you've never seen the film A Knight's Tale, we sort of live our lives by that movie, by that code. We we should do that for Mustard Movie Night next time. I mean, what one thing that really confused me about Errol Flynn is his thing was like, oh, I should live like I've got no tomorrow. You know, most people like I need to spend time with my kids. You know, I mean, one Clinton family, he was like, I need to spend time with a German spy in Spain, getting people into trouble. Well, speaking of people who live like there was no tomorrow. Uh, Hunter S. Thompson (laughs) 
Frequently involved in mischief, Thompson ran with a group of friends that were constantly testing the limits. At one point, a group of religious fanatics moved next door. <laughs> Much to Thompson's fury, he voiced his... Wait, he's got a long history of being terrible to his neighbours. He was um, very funny. He voiced his disapproval by nailing a wild boar's head to their door. <laughs> And what, what were they like? Jehovah's Witnesses or Mormons? Or uh, It didn't say in my notes, but I, I could always look it up if you're really interested. But they were religious peoples. And he was very, I think he was not just anti-religious, but he was just anti-authoritarian in Were they general. actually religious or did they just give him a Christmas card and he went mental? Not much. I mean, known, I can understand his hatred for authoritarians. Yeah, I can yeah. agree on that. Well, he nailed a wild boar's head to their door, and he put the same wild boar's entrails in their car. Jesus Christ! There's no record of how quickly they moved again. Wait, how old was he when he did this? He was basically a, uh, uh, at school. <laughs> he was a child. Um, was he the kind of kid who turned in trench coat and sent you a text saying? You're okay, don't come we, to school He tomorrow. never wore anything quite like that. He was wore like, he lived in hot places and he wore funky shirts and strange sunglasses. And I'm quite fond of him, but that's a bit mean. Then again, I've just talked about Errol Flannel. Who, Errol Flannel? Errol Flannel? Errol Flannel! He was a terrifying puppet. He'll, wa- he'll wash your naughty bits without asking you. Oh, God. Yeah, um, yeah so he put entrails in the car. Uh, because there's no record of how quickly they moved again after that, we presume he only had to do it one time. <laughs> they're, they're, they're out of there. Um, I feel like if he'd done it again, it would have been mentioned again. That would ruin your welcome to the neighbourhood party. Like when, when another neighbour gives some jelly, and you're like, oh, they're nice. Like, <laughs> Congratulations, here's a boar's tubes, and they're full of shit like you. <laughs> He's got worms in his tubes. I've got parasites as big as my arm. I've got bigger parasites, I've got huge parasites. I don't know what any of this it's means. From, this it's is from, from the Hobbit. Hobbit. <laughs> oh. But um, at the same time, he was also... No, it isn't. Oh, is it from the film? Yeah. Yeah, the Hobbit yeah, film yeah, with Peter Jackson. That's terrible. Worms Never mind, continue. Tubes. First one um, was good. Yeah. At the same time, he also developed a deep love of writing. He was a very prolific writer throughout his life, even though he was known to be rather disjointed and the drugs didn't help. Yeah. But um, his talent was such that while still in high school, he was accepted into the Venerable Athenium Literary Association. Ooh. Or the ALA, if you will, I guess. That's quite I fancy. I don't think that's known acronym. By Alan. Who knows? Mm, very good. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, he got us in trouble now. I hope you say that in a positive way. Oh, obviously. Yeah. Yes. He's great after all. I'm, I'm glad you're fond of him. <laughs> I love that guy. But um. Oh, I'm in trouble now. <laughs> cut this out. Cut this out. <laughs> um, an organisation. You're all good guys. We we like you. An organisation whose membership was mostly comprised of the children of well-to-do families, but he grew up very poor, so he kind of uh, wanted to be wanted to better himself. Yes. And uh, did a lot of good and bad stuff. Mad Bottle's got the foamy nipple now. I noticed that. <laughs> Skim it. Skim the top off. Skim it. Like... Good old suck. There, there we, we go. go. But Thompson was not to be contained, and his contributions to the group's no- newsletter were typically sarcastic and incendiary. While honing his literary craft, Thompson simultaneously built upon his reputation as a hooligan and a prankster as well. Escalating his extracurricular activities from more harmless endeavours, such as dumping a truckload of pumpkins in front of a hotel. That'll show them. To shoplifting, vandalism, and eventually robbery. 
if this is a competition, I'd like to maintain that my person stole people and sold them. <laughs> he was really, really bad. That was pretty That's terrible. That's true. It was during this time that he also developed what would become a lifelong fascination with firearms and a taste for drugs and alcohol. Ah, oh. that's a link. Yes, he liked yes, the drinky friend. Drinky drink. I've got some interesting yes. drugs and alcohol talk oh, later go, on. Go. Here we go. By his senior year, Thompson found himself squarely on the wrong side of the law and was arrested several times. Um, I guess mostly for robbery and vandalism. Not I can believe for that. selling human flesh. He sold human flesh. Well, your guy sold like human. I was making a metaphor. Wait, no, like, he didn't. The f- slaves. Oh yeah, made yeah, of yeah. Flesh and blood. Well, he sold yeah. people to work in gold mines, which is diabolical. But yeah, he wasn't like shit. it wasn't like Reanimator, where he's like, I can sell anywhere. He wasn't selling the organs like some communist states might be doing well, at the moment. Well, like, like certain countries. Yeah. That... I, I don't think the Chinese Communist Party listened to this. I hope not. Well, I, I... I know it's but this will be banned in China, surely. <laughs> they don't well two people listen to it me and my dad yeah so that's true <laughs> by his senior year Thompson found himself squarely on oh no I've already said that um, right he was arrested several times cut that he was arrested several times his me- <laughs> I'm into what drunk, done? drunken uncle time again oh I love this this is my favourite segment <laughs> His misdeeds soon led to his ejection from the literary group and also earned him a few weeks in jail. Hoping to cure him of his wicked ways, the judge... Yeah, our friend book was called Wicked Ways. Wagged the finger at him. Yeah. Uh, the judge, in his robbery case, offered him the choice between prison or the military. Thompson chose the latter and in 1956 chose the United States Air Force. In one of the greatest understatements ever said... His commanding officer recommended Thompson's discharge, explaining that this airman, although talented, will not be guided by policy. <laughs> Which is true. He did better than Jimi Hendrix. That always makes me sad. I loved a bit of Hendrix. You know, he got bullied when he... Well, he was in the 101st Airborne. He had he got big hands. Him. He used to crimp his t- uh, thumb all the way over them. It always upsets me. Apparently, they used to bully him and hide his guitar, and he'd cry until they gave him his guitar back. They both... Used to take a bit of the acid now and again. Poor, poor Jimmy. Good old Jimmy. <laughs> poor Jimmy. He was he was a good he was good. I was very fond of him. <laughs> he wrote a few tasty songs. After completing his basic training, Thompson was stationed at Eglin Air Force Base in Florida, where he coped with a rigid environment by working as a sports editor for the Command Courier. However, however, a handful for even the toughest commanding officers. He received an early discharge in 1958, and though his military career was at an end, a legendary future in journalism was awaited. Is it similar to Bronson, you know, when he was too mad for Broadmoor? Yeah. Uh, like, they were like, oh, the Air Force will straight you out, and the Air Force was like, get him out of here. Yeah, they couldn't handle it. Like it. get him out of here. It That's like the thing, it. he played a lot of pranks, and he was just generally a uh, argumentative shithead. Did he yeah. play creative pranks, or did he just have a giant willy made by a prop department and go, my willy's big, ah, I got you. Well, I've got a few pranks uh, that he did got, on he his, just, his... Oh, give me the pranks. Hello, Hollywood, the pranks. Hollywood friends. Uh, would you like... Ooh, actually, I do have notes on Here's a prank, mate. All right. Oh, for your granddad. This is just me turning a few pages. Uh... Poor okay. Stefan. Okay. Look at um, him, he's looking I've got sad. a section called, We'll Call It Shotgun Golf. This isn't in chronological order. <laughs> oh, no. Basically, 
Um, Bill Murray, the actor, Hollywood actor Bill Murray. Oh yeah. Later in his life, he played Hunter S. Thompson in the film Where the Buffalo Roam, which is based on one of his uh, literary it. writings. So, according to a transcript, uh, Hunter S. Thompson called up Bill Murray at 3 a.m. one morning and pitched a new sports idea to him. The idea involved a kind of clay pigeon shooting. Instead of using clay pigeons launched into the air, a golfer would whack golf balls into the air while another player would try to shoot the balls with a shotgun. Oh, that would be good. <laughs> Sadly, it wasn't always a great idea to leave Murray and Thompson in the same room together. In the early 1980s, the two men got drunk enough that attempting a magic trick in a pool was able to pass for a good idea. Thompson duct-taped Bill Murray into a chair and dropped him. Into oh my the god! He dropped him into the swimming pool, <laughs> taped to the chair. As you can expect, Bill Murray couldn't break free. Yeah, he would have drowned if Thompson hadn't pulled him. Wait, back what was the magic trick? Just oh, I'm gonna. I mean, I can't really do his voice. It turns into Elvis, but just oh, I'm gonna take Bill Murray to a chair for him and pull. <laughs> yeah, basically. Yeah, Where's I, I the magic trick? It was meant to be some kind of escapology uh, stunt, but just the two of them. No lifeguards involved. He just chucked him into a pool, taped to a chair. This sounds like the old troublesome Stetson trick. <laughs> Wait, what? This Stetson wants to be a magician. Well, we'll tape him up and throw him in the pool. <laughs> well, um, for the next few years, Hunter S. Thompson bounced around the country of America, working for a string of small town newspapers and spreading a short stint as a copy boy for Time magazine. He also spent a brief period in Puerto Rico, where he worked for a sports magazine. Um, what year ooh. was this, roughly? I've read his bloody book about that. Uh, in Puerto Rico? Uh, so yeah. What year was this? Yeah, roughly. Early 50s. I've got a point about this directly. Okay. It was in 1960, Thompson moved to Puerto Rico oh, to work mind. as a sports writer for the magazine, fittingly titled El Sportivo. Yeah. <laughs> he just ate burgers and booze. Sounds yeah. like it. Yeah, the magazine closed shortly after he arrived. Um, Thompson would go on to write a book about his adventures in Puerto Rico titled The Run Diary. Uh, that whole book is pretty much, Tuesday I had a burger and I went to sleep. Then uh, Wednesday I had a burger and I went to sleep. <laughs> Got pissed, fell over. Yeah. It was titled, uh, sorry, it was turned into a movie which starred Johnny Depp acting Ooh, as... Directed by the man who made uh, Bloody Whitnell and I. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Really? Um, yeah. There's a link there. More, yeah. more link Bruce. Time. No, not Bruce. Yeah, Bruce name? Robinson. Bruce Robinson, good guy. Um, Johnny Depp uh, uh, played Hunter S. Thompson, who was named Paul Kemp in the story. Uh, Thompson also spent several months in Brazil writing for its only English language daily newspaper in Rio de Janeiro. What was it called? Uh, it was called. Don't know why I'm Thompson questioning this newspaper. Oh, I don't, I don't you, know what it was called. Call me out my there. classic bluff. Who knows? <laughs> um, uh, in his spare time, Thompson worked for more personal writing projects as well, including the autobiographical novel *The Rum Diary*. I've already covered that, uh, which was re rejected by publishers at the time, and for decades to come, it would eventually see the light of day in 1998 because it was viewed as. A load of shit. I see. Basically. The annoying thing about that is, you know, like, what else do you think? Like, I'm doing alright. You wrote it when he was like 22. Really? Yeah, and I, I read it when I was in my 20s. So I'm doing well. I'm like, oh, you bastard. Yeah. <laughs> doing well at things. Fuck you. Though, dead man. Though Thompson's. That's the most left wing thing you've ever said. <laughs> <laughs> just, just endless yeah. resentment at the successful. <laughs> 
Though Thompson's wild ways frequently cost him his job, they also endeared him to the counterculture that was gaining strength around the country at that time and helped establish him as a fearless journalist with a unique voice. He used to bang on about how the American dream is fucked. And um, he uh, agreed with the counterculture movement in America, but uh, despite Thompson's embracing of the late 1960s counterculture movement, he was also very critical of it in his writing. Thompson took umbrage with the hippies who claimed to be left-wing and political, when really they were just after the drugs. Oh, well, that hasn't changed at all, has no. it? No. I mean, um, they've evolved so much since those days. <laughs> um, uh, where did I get to? So, in 1965, these bohemian credentials earned him an assignment to write an article for the Nation about the Hells Angels motorcycle Oh, yeah, club. this is mad. Published in May, the story was a huge sensation and it led to a book deal for Thompson who embedded himself with the Notorious Gang for a year. He lived with the Hells Angels for a full year. I mean, he was a bit of a spicy guy, but Hells Angels uh, were really uh, a bit hardcore even for him. This was back in the day when they were quite scared. Well, they're probably a bit scary now. Yes. But so, these days they're sort of like... Well, maybe in Britain, like a biker gang is sort of some dads who hang about. Mm. And back oh, yes. then they were kind it of terrified. They've kind of been watered down by today's stands because everybody's doing it now and the message has been lost along it's the way. Of, but... These days it's like dads in denim vests, but then they were scary, scary, scary boys. <laughs> well, not know anyone like that, do you? <laughs> <laughs> well, um, though its members nearly killed him at the end of his time with them. See, uh, nearly killed him? What? See, I told you, scary I've, boys. I've got a point about that. Um, Thompson came out the other side with the book Hell's Angels, The Strange and Terrible Saga of the Outlaw Motorcycle Gangs, published in 1967. The immersive and hallucinatory first-person account, because I took lots of drugs, um, of his experiences was an instant smash, firmly establishing Thompson as a journalistic force and launching what would be his trade style. Can I be Norbert Know-It-All and add something to that? Go on. There's a clip that's still available on YouTube and it was on American TV in 1960, and Huntress Thompson like challenged the Hell's Angels, and it's mad like knowing that they were very scary back then. Uh, they didn't like the book because he added things like um, they used to they they had like pretend marriages. Yeah, and yeah. when they had the ladies and that sort of Yeah, they used to beat the wives, and there I've was got a, when a he point got... about it here. Oh, sorry, yeah, yeah you go. Um, well, on one occasion, uh, Hunter S. Thompson he witnessed a particularly nasty member of the gang known as Junkie George, brutally beating beating his partner. Uh, George also struck his dog when the animal got in the way of the domestic spats. The dog was trying to protect. Dogs her. are good, aren't they? Um, yeah, but a disgusted Hunter S. Thompson. Uh, tried to stop Junkie George, insisting that only a punk beats his wife and dog. So he's a good bloke. I love that. Um, like we're not. If you're not sure who the goodie is in this scenario, the other guy was called Junkie George. My yeah. My yeah. Um. Oh, I see what you mean. I thought yeah. you meant between him and Harold Flynn. Him so, and Junkie George. Yeah. Junkie George. So he said only a punk beats his wife and dog. George respectably showed his difference in opinion with a savage beating that he and his friends bestowed upon Thompson. Allegedly, Thompson was very nearly killed in this assault, but luckily was only hospitalised. Because the universe has a strange sense of humour, 
Thompson appeared on a CBC chat show in oh, 1967, and the show surprised him by inviting on one of the ha- Hell's Angels who had beaten him within an inch of his he life. Cu- he turns wow. up on his bike in the studio, which is weird, because he just wheels it like five metres. And then he grabs the engine, like, ah, I'm a bag man. Yeah. yeah, this too, this is available to be seen online and it contains far more audience laughter than a story of wife beating and assault should logically have. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, it's kind of weird. The audience laugh because, like, motorbike man silly. Yeah. He's saying, like, this is, this is awful stuff. <laughs> well, yeah. with the proceeds from, this is a section I call gonzo journalism. Am I allowed to secretly have a wee and no one can tell that I'm doing it? No. Yeah, of course, yeah. You have to pause it. Well, I'll do it under the table. No, you can talk about your. No, nah, I'll do it under the table. <laughs> you can't tell. So I'll go for one as well. <laughs> oh, fucking hell, Matt! You let us all down. So uh, this is a section I call Gonzo journalism. Uh, with the proceeds from Hell's Angels in 1967, Thompson bought a compound on the outskirts. He bought a compound. The best people live on compounds. Don't it they? never ends well when you buy a compound. This is everywhere. Ooh, I have a uh, little quote about this, actually. About the compound? When, yeah, because basically... Are we going to get a compound? He, did, he had a, an interview with Salon uh, magazine, I believe. Have you put a tea and bag on my book that's propping up my hot laptop? It's on foil. Not foil. Oh, very it's good. on foil. So, uh, basically, he was asked about how many firearms that he owns... Oh and the leak, what his views were, because he was a member of the National Rifle Association. He, he, he loved, loved his guns. Loved his guns. He loved him. But and I he, love him. He let me get to the bit about the guns. So when they basically said, oh, "I understand you're a gun enthusiast," to put it euphemistically, and they asked him about his compound, and they heard that it was like a fortified thing. Um, <laughs> he basically said it was his reputation that kept people off it it was just a farm but if they believe they're going to be shot to death then that'll keep them away as much as any security it's kind of like i think later on we'll probably do dennis hopper oh maybe because dennis hopper when la was really really well it's scary again because it's gone mad but when it was really scary in the late 80s early 90s he built a concrete bunker in the middle of la (laughs) and he turned up with a load of guns and he spread rumors around like the local gangs like there's a crazy man there and he just waited in his basement with a rifle, like, yes, yes. Well, that's very much what Hunter S. Thompson kind of did, in a way. He snorted a lot of coke whilst doing interviews, whilst on camera. And he would wow. say... Um, oh, oh, I forgot a bit. Um, my- Errol Flynn thought that cocaine was an aphrodisiac. It isn't. It just makes you really selfish for me. Doesn't it, it make you really impotent? Yeah, it, it, yeah, it, makes, it makes the, the snake of horror go floppy. But he used to put it on the end, and he thought, like, yeah, the ladies will love this. And yeah, it didn't, oh, I don't God. know how that worked. So um, they asked Hunter S. Thompson, uh, I understand you're a gun enthusiast, to put it euphemistically, but do you support <laughs> restrictive gun laws, more restrictive gun laws? Do you support a ban on assault weapons? And he said, I, my impression is largely based on Johnny Depp's impression of him in Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas. So I said... I have one or two of those, but I got, I got them before they were illegal. In that case, if I was sure that any tragedies and mass murders would be prevented, I'd give up my assault rifle. But I don't really believe that. Do I have any illegal weapons? No. I have a .454 Magnum revolver, which is huge. <laughs> and it's absolutely legal. One day I was wild out out here with Johnny Depp. and We both ordered these guns from Freedom, Wyoming. and We got them the next day through FedEx. 
mainly I have rifles, pistols, shotguns. I have a lot of those. But everything I have is top quality. I don't have any junk <laughs> weapons. He said, I don't have any junk weapons. I love I the excuse, like, are you against dangerous weapons? No, I'm not a good... I buy my good stuff. I'll blow a child's head right off. <laughs> I wouldn't have any military weapon around here except as an artifact of some kind. Well, Given... no, he did own one. He, he had a Walther P-38 that was well into He had a Luger as well that he used to fire at the neighbours. Uh, ooh, I have That's a thing a about his neighbours, actually. Did he have uh, any Weblies, I wonder? I think there's a certain name. He no. wasn't Webley. Oh, no, we don't go into that. <laughs> we, we, no, that's uh, diabolical. Yeah, true. Uh, ooh, here's the thing. Um, in the mid-1980s, a very wealthy businessman named Floyd Watts, Watkins bought the ranch next to Thompson's uh, <gasps> oh. in Aspen, Colorado. The two men hated each other. But in this case, <laughs> Watkins alienated himself in the whole, whole town as well. He had made his money in debt collection and he spent his money fortifying his ranch with stronger and more extreme security measures. He even brought... Bengal tigers onto the property. What? <laughs> what? I'm Wait, this sorry, was what? this was Thompson's rival. N- yeah, yeah, yeah. Neighbor. So Thompson must have seen all this protection as a challenge, and like any challenge he was faced with, he accepted it full throttle. Thompson drove up to Watkins's mansion and emptied three guns' worth of bullets into it before speeding off. I wanna, I wanna win, but when your opponent knows you're coming and he buys two tigers. Yeah. Yeah. To keep Thompson out, basically. <laughs> um, by the time he was, was, he, at... was his opponent called Blofeld? No, he's called Floyd Watson. Oh, no. Did he have a load of henchmen who wore like matching boiler suits? Uh, potentially. Was his house a volcano? No, because oh, okay. it was in Aspen, Colorado. Oh, okay. There, that is a mountainous region. I don't yeah, know. I mean, it's a reasonable question. By the time he was apprehended, Thompson had an alibi. He was apparently shooting at a porcupine. <laughs> <laughs> And his guns had been destroyed already so that a ballistics test was out of the question. I hope this doesn't ruin it, but have you seen the video clip of him having a war with maybe that neighbour, maybe another neighbour? Well, Thompson was never charged. Oh, well, there's a video clip when some people made a documentary about him in the 80s or the 90s, I'm not sure when, and he was having like a bit of a war with his neighbour. Mm. And there's a bit where something rustles his hedges and nearly hits him. And he, he just shouts, if you want to kill me, you don't want to use birdshot, asshole. <laughs> yeah. There's a video of him just firing a Luger at the neighbour going, if this motherfucker wants to be a little bitch, I'll fucking give him something bitch. Fucking fuck <laughs> Jesus Because his neighbour was just like, a bit of birdshot, that's not murderous. But you know hurt. how I am when I drink caffeine, as I've had two cups of Earl Grey by now. My uh, God, man. You're um, just like Hunter S. Thompson. Hunter S. Thompson. You had two really cups fast. of Earl Grey and you've gone mad. Ah, I'm unstoppable, you <laughs> motherfucker. I'm just like... Yeah, I mean, yeah. There's many an anecdote of that time when Hunt S. Thompson had a couple of pyramids of PG tips. He used to and say... he went out of control. <laughs> he, used to, he used to use different drugs this for different methods. Really I've got a drug bed. thing uh, later on. But basically, where I left off, um, he had a compound in the outskirts of Aspen, Colorado, an area where he loved, uh, which he named <laughs> Owl Creek. And he That's moved cool. there with his wife, Sandy Conklin, whom he had married in 1963, and their son, Juan... Can you warn me if he's going to do naughty bad things? Because I'm quite fond of him. <laughs> um, Errol Flynn made me sad. Well, there was one uh, incident where uh, we used to have a lot of drunken arguments with his wife where he'd get really, really smashed on whiskey, like uh, Shivas Regal. But uh, there was nothing brand. with underage. No, no. Oh, good stuff. 
But uh, there was one No, that's not good stuff. But apparently yeah. there, I recall yeah. one incident where uh, he was saying to his wife, I want that gun. And she was holding a gun and saying, you can't have this gun. <laughs> saying, oh I, I want that gun. You're going to give me that gun. If you don't, I'll take this boot and I'll throw it through that window. And <laughs> that's so, a weird threat. Yeah. I'll break our window. Then I'll have to pay for a man yeah, to replace it. insane. Uh, but despite these seemingly domestic trappings, it said... Thompson was anything but settled down. He travelled constantly on assignments for a wide variety of magazines covering topics such as the hippie movement, the Vietnam War, got a point about that, and the 1968 presidential campaigns, all in his now characteristically irreverent style. So gonzo journalism, apparently in like uh, South Boston Irish slang, gonzo means like last man standing. I thought it was Charles Dickens from the classic A Muppet Christmas Carol. Oh, the alien Gonzo. Which is the nose. best version of Christmas Carol ever made. Agreed. I can't argue with that. No. But, um, yeah, basically, Gonzo is one of the uh, styles of journalism where instead of coming, concentrating on the task at hand, he basically wrote about just weird drunks, drug heads, and lunatics that used to frequent these events. So I think we can kind of... Because we wouldn't interest. be anything like them, would we? Yeah, definitely. We're not... I don't do we're the not, drugs. But... We're not drink men. That's that's bad. My my silence speaks volumes. Well, I, I would never drink a booze. It's terrible for you. Drink a booze? But... I'd never drink a booze! Well, basically, um, uh, among the best known and important of his pieces was a piece called The Kentucky Derby is Decadent and Depraved. A rambling, willingly subjective account of the derby. There was more the experience of watching it than it was about the race itself, because he was meant to go and comment on the race. Yeah. He was more interested in the nut jobs that were around him, talking it, about how drunk they were, stumbling about and talking it, shit. It's been me mm. fucking Norbert know it all, but what I love is that he would always fail the assignment, wouldn't read it, and would just give whatever he wanted to his editors, but it would be better than what they wanted <laughs> hence the so editors great. hence the editors note that the the bundle that he sent in weighed six pounds it was made yeah. of documents tapes and uh, various yeah, yeah. you things. know when you're a student you handed to, you handed an essay in at 8am after starting it at like 10 the night before like my yeah. dissertation yeah, yeah. <laughs> I have a friend who got so out of his gourd on nervousness and alcohol presumably that he took it into his head that a picture's worth a thousand words so he handed in an essay that was three pictures oh my god and... <laughs> how did that go not very well he yeah Hunter S. Thompson was like that but on an insane level well um uh published in the June 1970 edition of Scanlon's Monthly, and with oh, illustrations by British artist Ralph Steadman, who oh, also oh. filmed a documentary about him. Also did the illustrations for Bloody Whitnell and I. Yes. Did the poster. Yeah. Oh, yeah. amazing. That's a link. Ralph yeah. Steadman yeah. and uh, Hunter S. Thompson were friends, but then they met up to do a documentary. Ralph Steadman honestly said he may not recognise me when I see him again. <laughs> <laughs> and then when Thompson turned up in this bright red American car, and everything. Amazing. Um, he uh, turned up, shouted some, what are you fucking doing over here? These animals are fucking... Whatever. And then drove away, leaving Sedman going, hey, 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 come back! <laughs> <laughs> um, it was hailed as a like a knockout breakthrough in journalism and is considered the well, first just him ever... just saying, hello, hello, ah, blah, 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 and he drove off. No, no, uh, uh, 
this is about the Kentucky Derby. Is oh, sorry, I thought great. just him saying, like, oh, I'm turning up in my car, and then the guy that goes, was later oh, no, in Thompson's life. That's a bit of a... It's on YouTube, that documentary, and it is quite nuts, mm. uh, to say the least. But it, um, the Kentucky Derby uh, was viewed very well and became known later as gonzo journalism, Mm-hmm. Uh, which is a bit like uh, like Anthony Bourdain's travels about going to Morocco and smoking loads of hash or uh, or Anthony he was he getting, was a nice man getting off his ass on cocktails and that sort of thing I love that sort of I thing I can't go back because you know he he had a sad end so, yeah. much like Hunter S. Thompson yeah. Yeah. less sad less sad but still, still not good sad. still not Rebellious. good Yet even his newfound success could not quiet the troublemaker in Thompson's heart. And in 1970, he decided to shake up the local establishment by running for <laughs> Sheriff of Pitkin nice. County, Colorado, uh, on the Freak Power ticket, it says. But wait, so that was his party? Freak Power? Basically, it was like, uh, he represented anti-establishmentism. So, you said the Freak Power ticket, so his party was called Freak Power? I think so. <laughs> I like the consulting you know, like, was it the freak power party? Um, I'm not sure. Well, basically, (laughs) um, well, it says in one of his most bizarre incidents, Thompson ran for the position of Sheriff Pitkin County, Colorado in 1970. And, uh, much to everyone's surprise, including his own, Thompson was set to win the election, but the Democratic and Republican candidates consolidated their votes, narrowly defeating Thompson and his freak power ticket. Um, I've heard of this man before because I'm quite fond of him. His policies basically included uh, legalising recreational drugs, (laughs) uh, uh, putting a hype ban on all the buildings in the county, um, renaming Aspen Fat City... I got really confused for a second. I thought you were going to say it was height ban on people. No, height ban on buildings. Like, just like, you're over six foot. No, I'm going to break your legs. And he wanted to uh, take all the asphalt out of the streets and replace them with sod. Um, He was only narrowly defeated by his mainstream opponent, but his story about the campaign, The Battle of Aspen, appeared in Rolling Stone magazine that October. Can I be Norbert fucking know-it-all again for a second? Because one of my favourite stories about him is... um, his opponent was this really clean-cut guy who had, you know, the high-and-tight haircut? Oh, yeah, like um, buzz cut. Yeah, like the army haircut. It was around sounds. that time that Hunter S. Thompson shaved his whole head. And it oh. was just so that he, in debates, he'd say, well, my long-haired opponent over there. <laughs> you know when um, Johnny Depp played him in Fear and Loathing? He shaved off his head. He shaved Johnny Depp's head so that their hairlines would match. Yeah. <laughs> this infuriated goth girls across the world. Well, basically, he yeah. says uh, Thompson would remain his rela- maintain his relationship with the magazine for the for most of his life, serving as national affairs editor until 1999. But relations between Thompson and Rolling Stone magazine they got strained on occasion. In 1976, he was asked to go to South Vietnam and report on the end of the Vietnam War. Thompson agreed, and he travelled to the war-torn region, even as most people were trying to flee. Whilst there, he found out the Rolling Stone publisher, Jan Venner, uh, had pulled the plug on the story without telling Hunter S. Thompson. So he was left in South Vietnam without any support or health insurance or anything, and he just had to make his way back. How did he get back? Uh, He didn't say. 
His report on the fall of Saigon wasn't even published until a decade later. Um, so, in 1971, <laughs> this section's called Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas, which Man. is his most famous work. In 1971, Thompson received an assignment from Sports Illustrated magazine to cover the Mint 400 motorcycle race in the Nevada desert. Okay. Although he did travel there in March to witness the event... The resulting piece wound up as something else entirely. I love that it was for Sports Illustrated. A substance-soaked, out-of-control tale about his alter ego, Raoul Duke. I'm, I'm sorry, what? Yeah, he's, he, he, he made a, up a name. Wait, so, Stephanie, you're not aware of this man at all? No. <laughs> so he had, a character nah. called, he had a character called Raoul Duke, which was basically Hunter S. Thompson, in every sense but the name and so through the world, words of Raoul Duke uh, Hunter S. Thompson's words used to come out through his mouth so it's like um, uh, the American dream is fucked he says said, Raoul Duke not me there's no more depraved uh, degenerate than a man in the midst of an ether binge wandering around Las Vegas there's a bit where he says he's ether basically told to fuck off by a load of bouncers because he's yeah. been sniffing ether from reading that he goes Dogs, fuck the Pope. No fault of mine. <laughs> to be fair, thanks to Hunter S. Thompson, I've never tried either. Okay, so fair enough. It sounds horrifying, because yeah. according to Hunter S. Thompson, it's like being battered, but you don't have the mercy of your like memory disappearing. It's like anaesthetic. <laughs> so imagine the worst fucking nonsense of your life. Like You yeah. behave like an arsehole. It's like you have to watch yourself doing it. And you're like... I'm I'm a spaceship captain. Yeah, that's cool. Want to do a sex? Oh, it's like you, you've it, got to watch it like a sober man trapped in you. Yeah, yeah, imagine all the nerves in your spinal column are knocked out and not in control of your limbs. Apparently, that's what ether's like. Well, I've it's like it Pete Rotor said that the best thing about alcohol is that you don't remember what you did in it. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> which is oh, yeah. it's best not to know. Yeah, he never, never addressed what he was told. They said, last night, you know, you were sick on a nun. No, I wasn't. I was drunk. I don't remember. Best not to know. It wasn't me. <laughs> wasn't me. It was drunk, Peter. Um, let me carry on. Um, Tom, uh, he wrote this piece about the uh, motorcycle race in the Nevada desert. Although he did travel there to witness the event, it basically, they took loads of drugs. Him and his... Uh, he had a lawyer. <laughs> who... <laughs> Uh, he was Thompson's friend Oscar Acosta, who in the book is named Dr. Gonzo. And uh, I think he's meant to be Samoan, but he's never exactly Doesn't sure. Doesn't he just call himself, like, in the book, he's just like a 300-pound Pacific Islander. He was, he was facilitating the tanning process by pouring beer on his own chest. Because <laughs> how the film begins is like, we were somewhere in Barstow when the drugs started to take hold. Suddenly I started to see a load of bats and I said, what the hell are these goddamn animals? And like he's surrounded by bats. That's <laughs> a connection to Barrymore. That's a connection to that as well because it's like the coat hangers all over again. Yeah. I will say, in Barrymore's defence, he was just very pissed. Which actually he doesn't defend him at all. That's even worse. So, you know what? I think we're going to have three ratings after this. I'm going to rate Barrymore as well. <laughs> so, um, basically, him and Dr. Gonzo, but uh, Oscar <laughs> they basically Probably rented a, a car and they travelled around Las Vegas in search of the American dream. Would you like to hear <laughs> the what... Um, well, you know, in, after a fashion, would you like to hear the drug collection they put together? Yes. Yeah, go on. So, this is one of my favourite quotes from... 
uh, fear and loathing in Las Vegas. I'm at a disadvantage because I really like this book. I feel like yeah. this is going to be similar to the sassy list of what's in the Tripper Snipper and Big Les. So I th- I really think oh, that yeah, it, like speedweed, heroin, heroin, uh, uh, some uh, plastic frosty there. jacks toys, ground and sniffed. If Hunter S. Thompson met Sassy out of Big Les, he would have loved him. Yeah. Sassy would have died in the attempt. Yeah, Sassy would have probably died. But and um, the other one called Donnie who's got a big head. Yeah. <laughs> but um this is from Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas, the book and subsequently the film. Just so Stefan is aware, this was all on expenses. Yeah, oh, so he God. says um the sporting editor has also given me three hundred dollars in cash, most of which was already spent on extremely dangerous drugs. <laughs> <laughs> The trunk of the car looked like a mobile police narcotics lab. <laughs> we had two bags of grass, 75 pellets of mescaline, five sheets of high-powered bladder acid, a salt shaker half full of cocaine, <laughs> and a whole, a whole galaxy of multicolored uppers, downers, screamers, laughers, and also a quart of tequila, a quart of rum, a case of Budweiser, a pint of raw ether, and two dozen amyls. <laughs> all this had been rounded up the night before in a frenzy of high-speed driving all over Los Angeles County from Topanga to Watts we picked up everything we could get our hands on not that we needed all of that for the trip but once you get locked into a serious drug collection the tendency is to push it as far as you can <laughs> uh, the only thing that really worried me was the ether there is nothing in the world more helpless and irresponsible and depraved than a man in the depths of an ether binge and I knew <laughs> we'd get into that rotten stuff pretty soon oh no yeah, I so, love that. In the middle of that, they just got a box of bud, like the most yeah, boring beer in the world. Yeah. <laughs> like, it, just, it, just if we want a normal later. What disgusts me is that it's in the hot boot of an American car in the desert. Uh, oh, warm beer, terrible. Yeah, it's a crime against humanity. Yeah, and uh, all these drugs. Forget about it. You've got warm beer in your boot. Sort yeah. yourself out. He's gone way down in my estimation. Yeah, yeah so, give, him a, give him a Betty Davis slap. Yeah, so they travelled around Las Vegas, taking loads of drugs and getting. Fucked up. Let's 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 Batman. So um. Not naughty man. Oh um, on a slight tangent, I've got a brief quote about um, uh, politicians. <laughs> uh, let me find it because it's at the start. He basically said, uh, in a telephone interview with Salon magazine again, um. He's, he was talking about politicians because he hated authoritarianism mm. and everything, especially Richard Nixon. He said he was an outright criminal Nixon. and everything. Um, so he said, who does vote for these dishonest shitheads? Uh, they are all racists. They are the racists and hate mongers among us. They are the Ku Klux Klan. I pissed down the throat of these fucking <laughs> Nazis. So basically, um, Fear and Logan... Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas was soundly rejected by Spots Illustrated. Um, it appeared, perhaps. But, yeah, it appeared in a serialised format in a Rolling Stone magazine that November. It was later expanded upon to become what is known as Thompson's best work. Uh, Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas, a savage journey to the heart of the American dream. Published in hardcover by Random House in 1972 and once more featuring illustrations by Ralph Steadman, the book was both a critical and commercial success and is considered a modern classic. <laughs> I just love the beginning of that segment of this tale where it's like, 
the studio had given me $300, but most of that had already been spent on very dangerous drugs. That's... Oh, what the, an intro. <laughs> it's like there's a scene in the film where uh, Dr. Gonzo gives him a bunch of acid and he said, are you ready to check into a hotel with a head full of acid? And then he's like, oh, he views the floor as melting and he says that uh, it's impossible to walk in this muck. We need golf shoes or something. And then goes up to the counter, freaks out and he says, please tell me you got the fucking golf shoes. <laughs> At some point, we'll watch the film and we'll do like oh, a, must a, movie a night. must a movie night about Definitely. it. It's uh, very depraved and quite yeah. funny. I believe Simon's coming downstairs. Yes, no, he no, is. I never left. <laughs> I never left. I didn't do away. Um, I just <laughs> walked around the room. Well, I haven't got. So well done, miss. Well done, miss. Would you, like... Would you like to give me a kiss? So I've got a little no. bit about Johnny Aww. Depp here. Um, but Ooh, first, what do? What first let's hear about uh, a neighbour of his. How many neighbours did he bother in his Was time? Was it Keith Moon? Oh, no, 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 no. One time when a bear appeared. <laughs> of course he had a bear. Uh, hang on, when let a... me make a note of this. I thought it somehow to write Bear, bear yeah. bad. There was one time when a bear appeared at the lodging of Thompson's assistant, Deborah Fuller. Of course it did. Thompson did the gentlemanly thing and tried to scare it away with shotgun fire. Unfortunately, yeah. when Thompson, Thompson fired at the ground near the bear, the shotgun pellets ricocheted up and hit Fuller in the arm and leg. Oh, shit. <laughs> Wait, what? It hit his assistant? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, I'll, I'll, I'll save him from this bear. Shot his assistant by accidentally firing at her with a shotgun. According to Fuller, Thompson felt horrible about the accident and she didn't file charges against To be fair, us. with all being there, you've been trying to scare a bear yeah, off. It's just and a you accidentally sh- thing to do. You accidentally shoot a friend trying to scare a bear. Yeah. yeah. Um, uh, Thompson remains best known for Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas, 1971, a book first serialised in Rolling Stone in which he grapples with the implications of what he considered the failure, or failure of the 1960s counterculture movement. It was adapted for film twice, loosely in Where the Buffalo Roam, starring, starring Bill Murray, the friend that he chucked into a pool taped to a chair. Yeah, that was terrifying. And um, that was in 1980, and explicitly in 1998 by director Terry Gilliam in the eponymous film starring Johnny Depp and Benicio del Toro. It still surprised me that Seth hasn't seen that. And uh, Johnny Depp played him in a 2011 adaption, adaptation of The Rum Diary. Would you like to hear some about his relationship with Johnny Depp. Yeah, of course. Yes. Poor, poor so, Johnny. Um, Similarly to Errol Flynn, he got attacked by his wife. Yeah. <laughs> she threw things at him. Funnily so, enough, well, to except, be fair, they threw things at each other. Except Johnny Depp wasn't as much of a bastard as Errol Flynn was. Well, they, they threw things at each other. But we don't know. We don't know what's yeah. going on. The first, when Johnny Depp was interviewed... Uh, <laughs> so... He was interviewed about the first time he ever met Hunter S. Thompson. Uh, they first met in December 1994 at the Woody Creek Tavern in Aspen, Colorado, which is one of uh, Thompson's favourite haunts. Um, according to Johnny Depp, he was sat in the back of the tavern and waited for Thompson to arrive. And when Thompson came in, he shouted, Out of my way, you bastards! And uh, <laughs> Depp, just the, through the open door, he just saw sparks flying through the doorway. Wait, what? Sparks flying through the doorway as Hunter S. Thompson shoved. Well, he was armed with a cattle prod. (laughs) Cattle prod and a taser. Oh, can we get a cattle prod? No. He was marching through the crowd 
which click, quickly dispersed as he tasered are they, are they and prodded. He, he basically assaulted members of the public Jeez. on his way to get. So is it just normal dead. people like, oh, should we, should we go in there today and get a burger? And he was like, out of my way, you son of a bitch! Out of my way, you bastards! <laughs> and there were sparks flying off as he just electrified people in the rest in the tavern. Well, old wandering Hans Errol doesn't sound bad now, does he? Interesting. Yeah, he's quite bad. Um, <laughs> Uh, Thompson also nearly killed Johnny Depp. What? Uh, of course he did. He was staying in Hunter S. Thompson's basement for research purposes. <laughs> he spent at least a week, I think a couple of weeks, like driving Thompson's car, wearing just to, Thompson's just clothes to get his and voice. everything. And everything he wears in the film, is, I think, is oh, Hunter your, S. Thompson's Is this like when Tom Hardy wore Charlie Bronson's real yeah, mustache? Yeah, yeah. So he basically, is it weird, but that makes me feel quite comfortable? Literally yeah, walked around in his shoes for a while. I, I, I feel a bit sick if I was smelling another man's moustache. The <laughs> only thing is, he was living in uh, Hunter S. Thompson's basement for research purposes. One day he lit a cigarette, I... only to notice that he was sitting right next to a very large stack of dynamite. The research purposes thing sounds a bit like when you get a restraining order. You're yeah. like, no, I was living in that lady's basement for research Wait, purposes. Wait, so he nearly killed Depp because he lit up a cigar next to some dynamite? Yep. Wait, what? sorry, what? The basement had a large stack of dynamite piled up. Why do you have why, why do you have dynamite? <laughs> because he's Hunter S. Thompson. What was he playing at? Would you like to hear a fact about uh, smuggling an elephant one tusk at a time? Yes. yes. Uh, in 1974, the world was tuning in to watch the infamous Rumble in the Jungle fight between Muhammad Ali and George ah. Foreman. Um, getting tickets for this fight were impossible to get, so it was lucky that Thompson and his illustrator Ralph Steadman. They got free tickets and travel expenses to Zaire, now known as the Congo, uh, from Rolling Stone magazine, so they could cover the event in person. Instead, Andreas Thompson got bored of the boxing match and uh, decided to go on safari looking for pygmy tribes. What? Um, there's no evidence he found any pygmies. Wait, wait, he wasn't hunting people down, was he? He was looking for them. Oh my god. But he did purchase ivory from some locals. Jesus Christ. He caused a huge incident when he was stopped at the airport trying to take the ivory back home without paying customs. Well, I'll say one thing about Alfred. He was a terrible man who did awful things. So, but so he he didn't buy ivory. He didn't probably. kill the elephant, but he did buy uh, ivory directly yeah. from the profits of I poaching. Don't, I don't like being no, on Team Flynn. I'm like, you know, my guy was a diddler while well, he didn't buy tusks. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, here we go. So this next uh, chapter is called Rough Times. Riding... What happened? I'll tell you. Thank you. Riding high on his newly won celebrity and any number of controlled substances. Oh, incidentally, um, would you like to hear about his daily routine? Yes, please. Yeah, go on. Uh, this is taken from... Now, this is from a section that was made very famous by Joe Rogan on his podcast... But okay. it's taken from the bold king. Um, in her book *Hunter: The Strange and Savage Life of Hunter S. Thompson* by biographer E. Jean Carroll, she starts the first chapter with a detailed account of the excess of a subject. Yaha! It's all paid in. Very directly. Um, here's what Carroll reports as a go. sample daily routine for the Gonzo right, journalist. Let's think. Could we handle this? Is Note. It- this begins, his day begins at 3 p.m. It's a little bit like you, Stefan. Yeah. In a way. Yeah, yeah. In, in some ways. lay about, get in a some job. Ways, that's true, because I, uh, yeah, I, I tend to sleep in quite late a lot of the time. Oh, okay. But I have um, changed my ways. I'll, I'll try and wrap this up if I can. 
But um, yeah, Stefan just gave him a poster that said "Wrap it up." Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. it's so good. Uh, no, I okay. gave him a time frame. I gave him a time frame. This is his daily routine: three p.m. rise. Three. I could do that. Three o five. Shivers Regal the whiskey with morning papers and Dunhills, which I think is cigarettes. So he smokes Dunhills cigarettes. That was a three o five. Three forty five. Cocaine. Three fifty. I think he's lost me at three forty five. I'll try and get through this quickly. But <laughs> I think he lost himself there as well. 3.50, another glass of Shivas, Dunhill. 4.05, first <laughs> cup of coffee, another Dunhill cigarette. I could do I could do a coffee. 4.15, cocaine. Yeah, that, that killed me. 4.16, orange juice, Dunhill. Stefan, could you do any of these? I, I can't I can't write this down fast enough. So basically, drink, coke, drink, coke, There's no point cigarettes. writing it down. I've got to rattle it off, so I'll try and do it yeah. all in one go. So after uh, uh, 4.16, orange juice, Dunhill, 4.30, cocaine, 4.54. <laughs> he just writes that down, no measurement. 4.54, cocaine. 4.54, not 55. 5.05, cocaine. <laughs> 5.11. How much? 5.11, coffee, Dunhills. Uh, 5.30, more ice in the Shivas. Uh, 5.45, cocaine, etc., etc. <laughs> 6 o'clock. Grass to take the edge off the day. Oh, that's all right then. Seven o five. How much cocaine? How much? A lot. Seven o five. Woody Creek Tavern for lunch. Heineken, two margaritas, coleslaw, a taco salad, a double order of fried onion rings, carrot cake, ice cream, a bean fritter, Dunhills cigarettes, another Heineken, cocaine, and for the ride home, a snow cone, which was a, a glass of shredded ice over which is poured three or four jiggers of Shivas Regal. That was well nice. Um, nine o'clock. Start snorting cocaine. <laughs> start snorting cocaine seriously. I will say about this man. Ten o'clock. Oh. Drops acid. Ah, oh, I can't do that. What were you gonna say? Well, I was gonna say apart from all the cocaine, that sounds like an all right day. Just I was just have a lot of well, coffee and ice cream. He's only been awake for seven hours. Eleven p.m. Chartreuse, which is a liqueur. Oh, that's that cocaine. Boy. More grass. 11.30, cocaine, etc, etc. Uh, 12 o'clock midnight, Hunter S. Thompson is ready to write. <laughs> oh, no. 12.05 to 6am, chartreuse, cocaine, grass, shivas, coffee, Heineken, clove cigarettes, grapefruit, Dunhills, orange juice, gin, continuous pornographic movies. 6am, the hot tub champagne. Uh, the hot tub champagne. Dove bars, I don't know what they are. Fettuccine Alfredo. I think they're just soap. 8 a.m. Halcyon, which I believe is a sleeping <laughs> pill. 8.20. Sleep! I could do the sleeping <laughs> bit. So, um, basically, that that was a sample of his daily life. My God, man. But how, how did he survive even three weeks doing it? If you Sheer could just have... will. I don't know, if you just have... Like, yeah. just have, like, the bits with the coffee and the ice cream, it sounds all right. Oh, yeah. <laughs> But um, uh, let's try and figure out where I got to. Uh, yeah, basically, riding high on his newly won celebrity and any number of controlled substances, Thompson set out on his next assignment to cover the presidential campaigns of Richard Nixon. How'd it go? Whom he bloody hated. He said he was a man who could shake your hand and stab you in the back at the same time. And uh, he said... <laughs> When Nixon's coffin, basically when Nixon died in 1994, 
He oh, said that Nixon's co- coffin should have been launched into one of those open sewage canals that empty into the ocean just south of Los Angeles. <laughs> he was a swine of a man and a jabbering dupe of a president. Oh, God. So, um... So he wasn't a fan. He was uh, more of a fan of George McGovern, who opposed Richard Nixon in one of the next elections when right. Richard Nixon was trying to be re-elected. But um, that sounds a bit too crazy, and it never quite got off the ground, as far as I'm aware. Well, I'll tell you what, if he'd uh, truly launched Nixon's coffin into the uh, bit where the water and the sewer kind of mixed together, that would have been a Watergate scandal and a half. Oh, oh, he's done it! Or maybe he's done it! Sewergate scandal. The P- Mr. Pun Man! <laughs> Sorry. This is the man descended. I'm so sorry. I'm this so is sorry. a man descended from a dad who found out there was an alpaca that was a guard dog. It was a burglar went, alarm. Oh, blah, 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 bloody burglar alarm. Eh, Funny and enough, my day-to-day did involve alpacas, actually, but we won't go into that. What's so. tragic about the story is that Stefan's dad took three years to be removed from the property because he just kept going, eh, 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 eh. Because he, to be fair, he knew. Well, that, was, bit, that bit's not true. It that was a solid pun, but... <laughs> oh, that he was just couldn't be removed, one, wasn't it? That good time, good time. Yeah. yeah, it good was. Times. I just imagine him as a 1930s comedian wearing like a pop by hat, going, "Hey, hey, hey!" No, he doesn't <laughs> like do Brandy. that. He just hey, say hey. it and then Whoa. go quiet. Yeah. <laughs> hey, you're right. You're carry, on, carry on. Here <laughs> we go. Um, uh, basically, appearing initially as a series of articles in Rolling Stone magazine, Thompson's incendiary and humorous accounts were later collected and published as Fear and Loathing on the Campaign campaign Trail 72. Many of his works were titled Fear and Loathing in, and uh, they're all about how uh, the American dream had lost its way and how he believed there was so much wrong with the country he could put it right by just shooting guns at people and taking loads of drugs. I see. Well, in, in a way, not much has changed. <laughs> when I lived in America, I went wrong because I shot guns, but not at people. You went, uh, yeah, well, I thought you just got shown the gun show. No, no. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> on a couple of occasions, they took piss on me, took me to shooting ranges. I thought, this is nice. But, Did you shoot yeah. anyone? No, I didn't shoot any people. But... Did you shoot a bear and accidentally no, shoot a... or a porcupine. <laughs> Nothing. Oh, story. Not even when it ran into the ranch. Should have sorted it out. Well... In 1972, Thompson covered the Democratic Convention for Rolling Stone. What happened? Uh, Since it also took place in Miami that year, he decided to go for a swim on the beach after he was finished. As might be considered typical of his luck, a tropical storm happened to hit the coast (laughs) that night, causing Thompson's evening swim to turn into a furious struggle to stay alive. He finally did survive, but he didn't reach dry land until 9am the next morning. Is this like when spent, David Niven was stranded the, at sea? Yeah, he spent the entire night stranded I'm, in the I'm sea. I'm sorry. So he survived until 9am in the sea in a tropical storm. That's right. Yep. What a survivor. The god of weather in Wait, so he was in the water at the time? Yeah, so Thor and Poseidon couldn't kill this man. <laughs> couldn't take him away. Uh, the only person who could take him down was himself, as we'll oh, find out sad. later. Yeah. It is... Uh, but it also isn't in a way it's typical of Thompson's rambunctious nature that he decided how he'd meet his own demise Uh, but we'll come to that in a bit Mm -hmm. Um, so basically uh, his hard drinking hard drug taking lifestyle uh, began to take his toll on his output sent to Zaire the Congo well basically 
<laughs> when I've already covered this slightly when he was supposed to cover the rumble in the jungle mm-hmm. um as well as uh, trying to... Did it ever confuse you when you found out George Foreman was a boxer? I, the big I... guy, the big man, yeah, the grill man. As a child, I thought he was an inventor who just made grills yeah. that um, <laughs> gave you low-fat options if you wanted protein. He was protein. a really nasty motherfucker, wasn't he? In his George day, Ford he was, was terrifying, fun. yeah. Although Muhammad Ali was terrifying by turning up at his house. Yeah, apparently, that's the one with the, uh, oh, the rope-a-dope. <laughs> Instead well, of watching the grand rope-a-dope, uh, Hunter S. Thompson, apparently he stead- spent his time floating in the hotel pool in which... Into <laughs> was which this he, while the best into boxing which he, match in history was going on with Hunter S. Thompson just playing yeah. the ball going, that's yeah. boring. Yeah, when um, Muhammad Ali was supposed to be outright killed by George, uh, George Foreman. Yeah. Steph has instead, been, so I'll, I'll briefly say, um, this is nonsense, but I've probably lost, my, I've probably got the wrong guy. One of Muhammad Ali's opponents might have been George Floyd. I've had a drink. I might have got it wrong. That, that, it wasn't Floyd. It was well, Mean Foreman. He, he used to turn up drunk at his house and challenge him in his garden at like 3 a.m. Yeah. Like, yeah, come downstairs. I'll fight you. I'll fight you. And then eventually the guy would lose his shit. Like, for fuck's sake, it's fine. I'll fight you. And then he'd get his shoes on, come outside. But, oh, you're crazy. Why are you, why are you coming outside? Let's <laughs> <laughs> say. one about boxers at some point. Right, so uh, he is out basically while he was supposed to be watching the greatest boxing boxing match in history, he instead uh, floated around the hotel pool <laughs> into which he tossed <laughs> a pound and a half of marijuana. Why? Why? The article never materialised, nor did any other of Thompson projects Thompson's projects in the coming years that were begun in earnest only to be abandoned later. So he had a lot of unfinished projects. Oh dear. Uh, in 1980, his wife Sandy divorced him as well. Oh. But he remarried. Oh, that's all right then. To a person. But At least it wasn't a robot. Here's a fun fact. Cartoonist Gary Trudeau famously used Hunter S. Thompson as the model for his character of Duke, the protagonist in Trudeau's Doomsbury uh, cartoon strip. Reportedly, and in two Thompson spirit, Thompson once commented that if he ever met Trudeau, he would set him on fire. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking as a man who once set somebody on fire. Did he? No, me. I set someone on... I, I've seen you being set on fire. I didn't realise that you set someone on fire. There was a house party I was at with a person I won't name, but he, he got deeply into cocaine at one point. While we made a load of homebrew and we were sat in the kitchen having a load of drinky poons, this guy decided to walk around <laughs> the kitchen in what I would describe as offensively small neon-coloured shorts. <laughs> well, that's, that's so, clearly fine. You're allowed to set people on fire when they do that. After a while, I, I lost uh, my rag, let's say, and I decided to... I got my lighter out, I lit his belly hair, and it just Jesus. washed it straight up to his chin. And then, as he'd gone to the kitchen, almost naked at the time, to pour up a glass of orange squash, he'd went shit and it just poured it down itself. <laughs> I was going to say that I set you on fire once but it wasn't as exciting. Did you? Well, it was a bit weird. But... Okay, you don't remember. <laughs> yeah, don't remember. What has happened a few times? Look, was he in the bath laughing well, at Teletubbies? It was when we were pretending to be medieval men. I was given this like we barrel. We mentioned that we were ah! uh, I was given this barrel that was like full of cotton wool and I was given like uh, a smoke grenade and I chucked it in the barrel and threw it at Matt and on the way like the spark set it on fire. 
Well, yeah, the whole barrel ended up setting on fire. We had to run well, forward and we catch were supervised by a man wearing a barrel. Well, we were supervised by a man who, it turns out, had a weird obsession with paraffin. Who we'd weren't named yet. <laughs> yeah, and uh, he basically told Matt, like, oh, yeah, just soak us all shoes in paraffin, it'll be all right. And oh, there is God. a photo of Matt screaming and he's on fire. And it's yeah. quite amusing. Incidentally, I, I have and do do stunt work on occasion as well as my voice acting and that sort of thing. But I do I do fire, but I won't do falling off things. If you see me in public, don't set my fire. Because I did it to him <laughs> once and he got all upset. Well, I'm, I'm nearly near the end here. Very oh, good. I'll, I'll give you a round of Yeah, this is called Later Works and Death. Because he did die. No way. Okay. Like, just about all of my guys that I've done. Like, I did that. For the remainder of his life, uh, Dr. Hunter S. Thompson cool. continued to write, and though much of his published work would be from his earlier, more productive periods, um, from the years 1979 to 1994, Random House released four volumes of his collected writing under the series title The Gonzo Papers. And in 2003, a year in which he remarried to his assistant, Anita Bejmuk. Not, oh, not the one he shot, I don't believe. Yeah, I've heard that women don't like that when you shoot him. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I got that off a dating man website. <laughs> um, well, um, so, on that note... Come on, later works so, and death. Um, yeah, <laughs> later works and so, death. Is he okay? Is he still about? He got, he got remarried to his assistant and his uh, semi-autobiographical rambling Kingdom of Fear was published by Simon & Schuster, if you ever want to read that. So, by 2005, uh, Thompson, Dr. Hunter S. Thompson was in a state of depression. His health Aww. problems were increasing from a lifetime of like taking loads of drugs and drinking himself. I mean, I've heard that's bad for really But he was, I think he was 67 years old. He basically, uh, his health problems were increasing, football season was over, and the February's weather wasn't helping his mood because he had chronic depression. On the 20th of the month, his son Juan brought his family up to visit Thompson, during the day, Thompson called his wife, Anita, who was at the Aspen Club. While he was on the phone with her, he copped a gun and then took his own life as she was hanging up. He shot himself in the head. Uh, My God. So, well, when his son discovered Thompson, he allegedly called the police and he walked outside to fire three shotgun blasts into the air to mark the passing of his father. No doubt, Thompson would have approved of that. When police looked in... Thompson's typewriter, they found a paper in the typewriter with only February 22nd, 05 written on it and the word counsellor. What? So, uh, basically... Uh, Is there Hunter, a chance he was like, I should see a counsellor and his son was like, no, 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 no. Well, according to um, his friend and long-time collaborator, Ralph Stedman, Thompson had lived under the belief that a man was truly trapped if he couldn't take his own life at any moment. Didn't he have a horrible degenerative disease? Uh, well, his body failed him, basically. He always had this sort of athletic physique throughout most of his life. He was very tall uh, and muscular. He had, he had some... I mean, this is fucking Dr. Brown time. Like, he had some <laughs> wacky brain disease. Can and he was like, I've got wacky brain time. Depression? Well, not depression, more, more like it was all shutting down. Like Yeah, like it was. So basically, 
He felt like he was kind of trapped in this failing body. He was in pain I all mean, the time. As much as suicide is a, a terrible and tragic thing, um, from, it, from it, what he says, it, it sounds like at least he went out on his own terms. That's the thing. He always had an attitude of, fuck you, I won't do what you tell me. Yeah. And so whilst uh, if anybody is affected by uh, the issues of uh, suicide... Yeah, yeah don't know, do that. <laughs> It is quite a heavy issue. Make yourself use for someone. This guy... Be, be a removal man before this guy you finish yourself. purely decided mm. to go out under his own terms and nobody else could tell him what to do. Yeah. So he walked out onto the land of his own property and said, fuck you to everyone and nailed himself in the head. Yeah. So uh, is he right now? <laughs> no, he's very much dead. Oh, uh, so uh, Thompson also left a suicide note titled Football Season Is Over. Uh, <laughs> yeah, he read, you know, he read, no more games, no more bombs, no more walking, no more fun, no more swimming. 67, that is 17 years past 50. 17 more than I needed or wanted. Boring, I am always bitchy, no fun for anybody. 67, you are getting greedy. Act your old age. Relax, this won't hurt. To be fair, it sounds like... That sounds very disconnected. It sounds like he did it. It doesn't flow. Yeah. Yeah, it was a bit rambling and uh, he was still on the booze. I don't know if he was quite on the drugs to that extent. But he was also 67 years old, so he was a bit of a... uh, An old man. But, just to finish up, in true Hunter S. Thompson style, I think you'll like this, Mm -hmm. his ashes were fired out of the cannon... (laughs) On top of a 153 foot, that's 47 meters in metric, tower, all while Bob Dylan's Mr. Tambourine Man played in the background, <laughs> the funeral, which repeated, uh, reportedly cost five million, was paid for by Mr. Johnny Depp. Oh, bless him. Among those in attendance were Ralph Steadman, Benicio del Toro, Jack Nicholson, Bill Murray, Sean Penn. Josh Hartnett, who uh, was in one of his projects. Oh, bless him. Poor Josh. And surprisingly, Senators George McGovern and John Kerry. <laughs> John Kerry? <laughs> no yeah, way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, so ends the tale. Wasn't John Kerry of... like the Secretary of State or something? Well, or he, he tried to like beat Bush and it didn't work out and it was sad. Yeah. Um, never mind. Never... I need a wee. So I'm going to do a wee then, Steph, and we'll decide. Okay, well, that's good. probably a good moment to call it here, at least for this particular part before we get on to the conclusion where Stefan tots up Very the much. points and considers the winner. Very much so. So here we go. <laughs> right, Matt so... took too long. He ruined the evening for everyone. You took too long in the shitter. I did. I will <laughs> now toss up the scores, and we're going to do that by going through, and I'll give them points Scoring. for each thing that I've this, noted. I have is to say, one, it, it recording? is recording, yeah. I have yeah. to say, I can't say I like Harold Flynn, because I can't be on his side, because he was quite naughty. Oh, yeah, your Tasmanian rapist versus he, yeah, the he, monster he, of Aspen, Colorado. Okay, <laughs> so guys, we're going to start with Flynn, okay? So... Uh, he sought his fortune on the high seas, um, involving uh, a brief stint as a prospector, or he he wanted oh, to be a prospector. So, I got the gold that comes out that of boy, here. Yeah, he, he's gonna get he's gonna get two points for that it, because oh. he also had a pith helm and he wanted to be a colonial Damn general. So, wait, so, so that's two background. points. Are you saying that he could have got away with all the slavery if he just 
bought a pip hat and you didn't have to oh, do no, slavery. Oh, no, no, slavery question mark is also on my list. Oh, and no, he's Mark, getting exactly to, no points for that. Let that be on the record. for the occasion to mark you out as a slavery. Because <laughs> right? so, I could have bought a pith helmet once and thought... Okay, now there's also... Taking the pith. Now there's also oh. gonorrhea. That's also on the list. I, I can't <laughs> remember if he had it or if it was just like... If he that, was riddled with it. Okay, Does okay. that also have a question mark? Um, he was more uh, mustard I'm going to put Willy. a question mark next to it because we can't remember. He was the mustard bollocks man of Hollywood. But... No points for gonorrhea. Sorry, sorry, Flynn. <laughs> yeah, um, now, sorry. yeah. Hunter S. Thompson never had gonorrhea. His, his first that. job being that he ran away from home when he was a young lad, and he worked on a sheep ranch where he'd shove his face into the ass of sheep and bite their balls off. I, I will say to Which, make it fair, that's when, two points towards madness as when well. He yeah, but apparently that was commonplace at the time. Well, well when, I've never heard of that. So he, well, he's getting two points. Well, to even it out, when he was seven, he didn't really get that. They just gave him some bullshit pretend work, and he was like, oh, I want to work on the ranch. I don't know why I made him Irish. I want to work on the ranch. ranch. He tried to make himself Irish, didn't he? And he's going to get a point for that as well. So that's yeah. what? What? pretending to be Irish. Yeah. So that, that's five False points. False Irishism. So um, he uh, he had himself crack. a sugar mama and he stole her jewels. And yeah. I'm, I'm going to give myself a point for making that joke about stealing the jewels of sheep and women. So what? We're going to have a separate column for me at the bottom. Oh, okay. I like yep. that Huntress Thompson has no points for not having a sugar mama. Like, you know, Huntress <laughs> Thompson wasn't toxic and didn't have a someone he he dragged along <laughs> for money. Was, most people were scared to go near him. All right, let, know, let's carry on. Yeah. So um, and a taser. Let's keep going down the list. So. He, he had a weird little Austrian doctor as a pet who followed him around as like a, a sidekick. Not a father figure. Uh, who also happened is... to be a Nazi with whom he travelled Asia going to opium he dens and cockfights. And he was in the Gestapo. Let's be fair, let's be fair. I don't want to slander the Gestapo. He fixed cockfights for money. Okay, he's going to get three points for all of those things. And none of those are for being in the Gestapo. Fighting drugs. Okay, so he's got three points for that. But the fighting uh, he, he, joined, the he joined the Royal Hong Kong Volunteers and then deserted. Um, well, it, rubbish. it sounds like he liked my down. down. Nothing, really, said, nothing really happened there, did it? Well, no, it, it, it sounds like they said there's going to be a war with Japan soon. He was like, oh, getting out of here. Yeah. He's no carton de viat. Well, he, he, you know, he had the balls to do it, but... Did he? Nothing much happened there. So he did bitten off by a passing He's not getting... Ape. Well, he had a bitten lot of balls that he bit off yeah. Bitten off by a chimpanzee. Ape. All right, gentlemen, quiet, please. Um, so then he used to stand opposite a shoe factory in the window, naked, uh, so that the women would stare well, at him. we've all been there. I mean, da, 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 I don't da, da, approve of such behaviour, but da, 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 it's it's another point towards say, being a mad master, da, 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 bastard. So at the end, can point. we please sing that coat song? Because I remembered it when I was having a wee wee. He threw a theatre manager's wife down a staircase, which we which we, we condemn. We we probably condemn. That loses we think but, it's but the fact bad. that that is somehow something that got him into. It catapulted into the limelight, and they were like, "This man's a star." I love oh the mindset of Hollywood. Like, I'm giving guy. him this guy, this oh guy. He's done a weird sex crime. I'm giving him one point for being <laughs> charming enough that people were willing to put him in into stardom for doing something so stupid. Although I disapprove of throwing women downstairs. This guy, sex. every time a woman stands up to him, he tries to <laughs> murder them. This guy is a star. Let's he glorified he pretended, violence upon women. He pretended. Yeah, no, yeah, we're not yeah. doing that. Shut up. So. No, that's, uh, that's, <laughs> Parody, he pretended to be a champion boxer briefly, um, but he was very pretty. And uh, yeah, we didn't really elaborate That's on it, I. so no points there. He, no. this is one of my favourite bits. He he arrived late to his own anniversary party, hit himself over the head with a wine bottle, <laughs> and said, <laughs> "Happy anniversary, darling." I'm giving him two points just for that would because it, that's would it hilarious. Tip the scales, if I tell you, it was a magnum of somebody. 
Uh, he's getting two points. No, you lose points for that because they're shit and I mean, stupid. Okay. As someone who works with bottles and the machines that Right, guys. Them. So he, he sorry, also bought a lion nerd. He bought a lion cub. Pain in the ass. And Magans. then when he realised that... Magans are he shit. Said, when he sobered up and was like, what the hell am I going to do with this lion? He just left it for his wife to pick up. Like, yes, Mrs. Finn will be collecting lion the lion. Cub. It was a miniature lion, not a full-grown lion. That is one point. That they do grow yeah. up. It's like... You, you know, if he'd you... taken it for a walk, that would have been... Another it's point. a bit like when you adopt children to work in your chimneys. It How tell, do you get a in a few around? years, they become tough and How they try and sort you out. Uh, let's, just, let's just proceed, gentlemen. So <laughs> I'm going to give him another point for dragging a man off a horse and beating the shit out of him because that man started it by ramming his lance up his an horse's extra, ass. An extra, not paid actor. But I, I have a lot They're of respect. <laughs> They're in my studio. I believe, that any, I believe that any Englishman or a man who lives in, in Britain... Or he wasn't or an Englishman, no. Should be able to drag a man off a horse and beat the shit out of him. So he's a Tasmanian. So he's getting uh, a point for that. I was at the studio hushed it up. Not point five points. Of course. Just, so he may have <laughs> kicked a man in the head. Imagine being so unsatisfied with your wife and her nagging that you escape oh. to the Spanish Civil War because you think you'll have a more pleasant time there. Oh. And I just have to, I, I have to um, commend you for using the phrase <laughs> paella infused That's bullet not my to the phrase. head. Uh, that was written by Robert Sellers. Yeah, but for <laughs> inspiring someone to write that about him, he gets another point. Um, so he, let me just add that his Austrian doctor friend was dressed as Hitler at one point, which is quite cool. What the maddest so, thing is... Like, so Herman's getting a point as well. The maddest thing about that is... System is this was in Austria <laughs> where they weren't into Nazism at that time. And he was of like, course. Oh, I don't know why it's all... Aus- it, it, every impression I try and do is like... <laughs> Yeah, an Irish child, child like oh he love Adolf he's brilliant <laughs> right let's carry, Richard Harris again. let's carry on so um, he moved in with David Niven and had a place that they called Cirrhosis by the Sea ah. I think that's kind of hilarious and he also drove off in a boat with Nixon's girlfriend and left him in the sea I feel like he's and getting he still loved him a he point, still loved him a point for naming the, the place Cirrhosis comes, by the Sea and a point the for Ooh. Being able to leave a man in the sea and still have him I not missed hate a bit. You. David Niven was chased about by sharks. <laughs> yeah, but he and he said, to, uh, no, he said to Errol Flynn later, like Errol some Flynn. some people took pity on me and like put me in their boat. There were sharks about, and Errol Flynn was like, ah, sharks, jolly good. Wouldn't it be <laughs> funny if you were killed? Right, I understand you're trying to milk another point out of me, but you're not yeah. going to get it. You shall not milk the judge. So milk him like he, he then old masturbated man. on a woman's doorstep. Like a swollen um, avocado. I'm not going to give him a point for that because I just think that's crime, a bit disgusting, it? really. Um, Unlike that, he's like, you say I'm a sex man and I've got no intelligence. Well, I'll turn upon your doorstep and masturbate at you. <laughs> That'll <laughs> teach you a lesson. So it's, then, it's then of sexman. course, we sexman. have John Barrymore who becomes his new father figure. Um, and he, he found Barrymore drunk in 16th century gear um, on, on the set of a film or the theatre or something. Does he get points um, for finding him? And then, oh, Bar- really? and then Barrymore also pissed out of Flynn's window at some point. So that's two points to Barrymore. Uh, Barrymore points also... Barrymore. Um, this is bad. Barrymore did piss on Flynn's female friends. So he'd be like... Oh, oh, we, we don't it, condone that. He'd say that, this Flynn? is Felicity, isn't she wonderful? And she'd be like, hello, I'm Felicity. Barrymore like, get rid of Flynn. Flynn was sensible enough that he cast him out. Um, well, can I just say that uh, no, Barrymore also confused coat hangers for bats, so that's the third point for Barrymore. He's actually... Yeah. To be fair, we all I mean, he's bad. ahead of your guy so far, Matt, because I haven't given your guy any points yet. Well, well Stefan, you're a, sp- yes, you're a spooky no man. How does it feel to be coming last? Stefan, uh, speaking of... Fuck you. 
Speaky is a spooky man. You've confused many an object for a bat. He's well, using the weird. I, I have actually one of them was a woman, but anyway, You're using the weird um, pants. Did she try to Actually, she was a bat. Um, I don't like this. Science. Was this after she it. took control of a boat on the way to Whitby? Uh, possibly, yeah. Um, yeah. Well, anyway, so, that, so then we have the fact that um, Flint's cronies dug up Barrymore's corpse and propped him up in his house. Um, oh, I, I believe Flynn pretty... just ran away then, didn't he? He was he, like he ran oh. away screaming. Yeah. So like no little, points for Flynn there, little bitch. Um, no points for Barrymore because he was dead, but no points for his mates either because well, that's just a shit thing to do. Barrymore, really. to be fair, was quite funny. You can't even yeah. handle a corpse digging up a. Reef. He doesn't get points for being dead there, Simon. That's just out of order. To be fair, Barrymore's dad, his daughter went to visit him. They were like, "Your father's password." I'm so sorry. And he woke up and started struggling and going, "Ah!" Oh no. Ah. Anyway, moving on. That's a so, classic Simon line. <laughs> <laughs> I love this. At one point in the film, he was too drunk to stay on his horse. So he had to be And that had to be propped up with extras. Well, I love the idea of, of like of some burly boys holding him on the horse. He's getting a point for that. Any man who can, who's willing to try and be on a horse when he's the that drunk gets a point. Boys. It reminds me of when I was... The weirdest things when I was a fancy boy as a child, when I did pony riding, their mindset was like, well, if the boy falls off, he, boy, he falls off. Let and whenever it did, fall. they were like... 12,000 lovers. Yeah. 12,000 lovers. He's getting one point for that. What? He's getting That's one point. That's nonsense. 12,000 This is what he's known for, right? So, I mean, you know, he's getting a point for that. How would That's you fit them in? Utter nonsense. In bit, in bit, how, From how? behind, presumably. Um, one thing that disturbs me slightly, when his dad walked in with him being with a woman, he, he and, you know, his dad's trying to reconcile from being estranged... Uh, he says, take a seat, Dad, I shan't be long. So, that's just disturbing. I'm not giving him a point for that, even though I wrote it down. Yeah, don't let your dad see that, that's weird. Okay. Um, it's like, you know, that brief moment where your dad's like, you're, you're your girlfriend, she's nice, and you go, ah, ah! There's, there's a moment of horror. <laughs> yeah. Right, so, a woman slapped him so hard that he threw up. No, that was Betty Davis, she was, she was fantastic. Now, he was, was persistent it? enough to make that happen. I think it bitch. almost gets him a point, but it's just too creepy. I'm not giving Ooh, him a point. Can I leave you um, the Hollywood always gave him the same lady lady, Olivia de Havilland. Mm. And when she first met him, she actually was attracted to him. I love that sound. you know how he wasn't emotionally developed? Yeah. To show his love for her, he, he was like 40... And he put a dead snake in her underpants. Are you just making this up? No, I'm not. <laughs> okay, he gets a point for that. You can have that. And I saw an interview from the 70s, which is on YouTube, where she said, if he just said, I want to go out for dinner, I, I, I love you, she would have. But he was like, ah, you know, like in primary school, when you didn't know why, but you put worms on girls. Like, ah, I got you. I never did that. Did I, not? I literally never did that. My friends did that. I didn't. Did, did Matt do that? No. Anyway, anyway, I it's just... almost like I respected women even as a small child. We used know? to let the worms yeah. go. Well, it's not about respect; <laughs> it's about the worm. When I was a little, when I was a little one, I used to pick the worms up and put them back on grass so they could be happy. And ah, well, that's why I raised. But you also now. used to arrange. <laughs> you also used to arrange rocks in size order and put them in your little truck and wheel them across that's the garden. That's the autism boy who's yeah. for the win. <laughs> no, you yeah. broke the autistic scale, didn't you? Though he oh, broke yeah, the did. autistic scale. I by, can't remember how they I said, did. "Well, it sounds like you could be, but also lots of these things you shouldn't be doing, so it doesn't make any that's sense." That's why I've got the word "abnormal" tattooed in my skin in Chinese. <laughs> Is this why you've had about that. too many Hot Wheels vans? Uh, anyway, chaps, chaps, we're, <laughs> we're getting off topic here. So where were we? Topic. He chased his director up fifty feet, uh, a fifty-foot staircase that they built on the Robin Hood set. And then hung him off the edge saying, is this real enough for you? Because he'd been saying the fighting wasn't real enough. He's getting 
Uh, let, hang on, the stairs are quite tall. He dangled him off the edge. He's oh, yes. going to get two points for that. So I mean, in our little kicky box time, we found out between us that ten burpees is too many. Yeah. So this this monster <laughs> could charge up the stairs. Offered to spy an island for Roosevelt in World War Two. Didn't I mean, work out. Didn't it, work he out. didn't do it, but if if he'd somehow he managed to it. get sent there, that would have been worth a point. Can I tell you the sad story? Uh, go on, very quickly. Uh, John Wayne couldn't get into the army in the war. And he just said, like, um, I, I want to be a spy man. And apparently General MacArthur just said to him, all right, fine. And they were, like, in the Philippines. and like, just write down the names of all the boats. And for years after the war, John Wayne was like, you know, I was a spy for the CIA. I mean, they were called the OSS then. <laughs> I, he was I, like, I may the be... boats were called the Saucy Sioux. This, this is my a... mum. <laughs> this is a tangent. I do believe that John Wayne met the real Wyatt Earp. He did. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's true. On, on set of a film that, because uh, Wyatt Earp got into Hollywood films and Ooh, the two men. You know, this is nothing to do, do with the I'll, I'll circle back the wagons. Do you know who else um, used to hang out with Wyatt Earp? Genghis Khan. Okay, Freddy. Big Willy man. Really? Oh, God. Speaking of big willies, uh, the next thing on my list, Flynn had a normal sized penis, according to various women. So, so apparently, no he's short, stubby, and unremarkable. Minus 17 so points. So, because he's, because he's so known for that. I don't know if he pushed that himself particularly, but he's losing a point for that. Yeah. Yeah. My theory is that he met OK Thrody. Decidedly average. And there were stories of Big Willie coming out of his house. He was like, what if the Big Willie stories were about Flynn? Hunter S. Thompson. There's no mention, as far as I know, about Hunter S. Thompson. I I don't know if he even had a sex life. Anyway, anyway, so uh, he did many terrible things for Warner Brothers, but would not tape up his cock. Uh, he's getting a, he's getting a point back for that. Cop. He's getting a point back for mm. that. So he must have had some kind of bulge, you know. Man's got to have standards, I suppose. Um, it's bizarre, though. That's where he drew the line. Like, my yeah. girlfriend's 15, but I will not tape her my cock. Like so he also... Did, I also had you know what? This page, is almost, this page is almost exclusively about the, the phallic area. Um, what, Big Willie's Did you get a little so, bit sidetracked, Stefan? Is so there something you're not telling us? Got friend's dick stabbed with a fork. That's another thing. Oh, uh, yeah, so well, had, that's not... He got his mate to put his dick on a, a, a plate full of sausages and then someone stabbed it. Did I mean, he? Did he? I'm going to give him a point it? for being involved in that plan because that's quite funny. Um, he injected what? oranges with vodka when he wasn't allowed to drink. Oh, and that, a he gets point. a point Ooh, for that. I've that's ingenious. That. Yeah. You know, after they found out about the orange... Oh, shit, I've got two. Uh, after they found out about the oranges, Mr. Shouty Man. <laughs> yeah, I'm always shouting. I'm going uh, to sorry, I'm gonna give him one point for the injected oranges with vodka and the whole inhaler with vodka and cocaine thing. That together um, combined. He had point. bottles of moisturiser that he drank, and it turns out that was just vodka. Funnily enough, they do that in prison. Yeah. yeah. Uh, wacky story as well. You know Mel Brooks? <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, Mel, Mel Brooks. Mel is... Brooks is Jewish? <laughs> yes, it is. Uh, in his early days, in 1954, he was given a job on television to just keep Errol Flynn sober, just for one show. I bet he didn't succeed. Really? No, he didn't. <laughs> and that show were, basically got turned into a film in the 80s called My Favourite Year, and he was played by bloody uh, Peter O'Toole. They Fair enough. That, well, that is a link, that is. But this oh. is a moment that came from that, on this wacky tour when oh, they tried shit. to keep Errol Flynn sober. Oh. There is a clip that remains, and if you go on YouTube, you can find it. He was on a radio show because he had no money. They said, like, please, the beast is said to Errol Flynn, we've got Errol Flynn here. Tell us an amusing story from your childhood. He, he just turned up bat and went, at the age of 12, I fucked a duck. How many, how many points 
Uh, I'm not a, giving him a point for that. We're not a, having points for bestiality. How many points are given out for links to previous Maddest Bastards? We're not giving links out for that unless it's related to something cool that your guy did. It annoys me that Matt has a really fancy tiny glass. We could use it as a tiebreaker, but... Tiny glass in which my drink Anyway, is, is uh, just to finish off... Hang, hang on, hang on, hang on. Just to finish off scoring for Flynn, so... The next thing I've got, Addicted to Opium. Well, we already, already went through the opium dens with the Nazi. He, he was too um, tough for opium. He drank Africa out of whiskey, allegedly. He's getting a point for that. That's, yeah. That's um, um, they one got, point. They got a doctor. Because <laughs> I don't think it's fully true, but oh, if people here's a believe story. you Here's did, a story. Because um, the French had, like, wacky medical boards. Yeah. They got this one French doctor and said, well, France says Errol Flynn can have more whiskey. And apparently Errol Flynn gave this doctor prostitutes and the doctor gave him whiskey. Doctor Prostitute, wow. and he, my and name is Doctor Prostitute. Said this man's healthy. Give <laughs> right. him more whiskey. We're, we're nearly at the end, so he won a hotel in a card game. <laughs> I like that. Uh, released an alligator into the street monster. and crashed a car into the, into a pool. He's getting um, two points for those deeds. Uh, right. So don't look at it. now we're going to go through Thompson. Don't I don't want to see. And what is it? Is it exciting? So take your glasses off, you spectacle. Let, let's go with well, what. Oh yeah, I'll take my glasses off. That'll help me see better. Yeah, that's how it works, you dickhead. That's All right, guys. Point. So Thompson, uh, from the very beginning of your um, talk on Thompson, um, yeah, in a four-day yeah. period, he managed to destroy two cars. Yeah. Um, cracked the wall in a Hilton hotel. Yeah. Uh, bought two French horns for eleven hundred pounds each. Yeah, wow, it was a man. Dollars. Dollars. Sorry. Dollars. Uh, ran ran through. More points for that. Yeah, ran through the glass door in a Turkish restaurant. And yeah, well, that, that's it. terrible. How could so, he? Said Ralph. Stenner. Considering that was in a four-day period, no. I'm going to give him two points for those deeds. Yeah. Um, Screw you. <laughs> he, he joined the U.S. Air Force. Um, uh, given an early discharge. Given, given an early discharge because uh, this man will not follow policy. I think <laughs> the fact that they said he was talented but also wouldn't follow policy. That, they loved him but he was not. That safe means he's getting them. a point. He's oh, getting yeah. a point for that. So the fact that he literally inspired the name Gonzo Journalism. Yes, he, it was coined for him. That specifically for him. I'm giving him a point for that. seven or so types of journalism. There's only so many types of journalism that are recognised, and he inspired he one of them. He is one of them, yeah. yeah. Right, um, so he bought a mail-order doctor. <laughs> yes, he bought what a hero. Um, what a hero. And declared himself Doctor Hunter S. Thompson. I'm not going to give him a point for that because I don't I don't see how that benefited him really. But he did it himself. He was a good guy. <laughs> um, so he asked about the one hand clapping sound, and then uh, he was sorry. He was slapped Don Johnson. He was asked about the one hand clapping sound this, and slapped Don. Don Johnson was it was the most handsome man. Hollywood. He's getting a point for that because that's hilarious. Slapped a Hollywood actor around the face. Oh right. my god. Um, his father was a World War One veteran. Uh, he nailed a boar's... Instant three points for that. He had religious neighbours who were fanatics, so he nailed a boar's head to their door and put the entrails in their car. He's getting two points just for that. Yeah. That is ridiculous. Yeah. How when crazy do you have to be? When a child, essentially, at school. Um, the trouble is, I don't want to big up Errol Flynn because he did a lot of naughty crimes. Yeah, no, that's fair, that's fair. I, you'll that's notice a, I didn't mention some of them when scoring him. But um, I will say, like, Hunter S. Thompson is like... Yeah, he inconveniences he inconvenienced his neighbours. My guy kind of sold people. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Therefore he's this is share the episode up. So Thompson also dumped a truckload of pumpkins yeah. by a hotel. He, he's getting a point for that. Happy, That's hilarious. Happy shenanigans. 
Uh, I've just written here, guns, booze, drugs. Booze, I mean, drugs. Yeah. That, that is Hunter S. Thompson. He was offered the choice between military or prison, chose the military, and was talented but would not be guided Can by Can I policy. be an idiot and um, celebrate Hunter yeah. S. Thompson for one thing? Go on. Um, if you read uh, Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas... He sent this to his employers, you know, the list of all this, this shit he bought, yeah. including a 44 Magnum that he bought in expenses. <laughs> and he sent it to them. Like, before... The fact, the fact that he put a Magnum on his expenses gets him a point. That's for, I think that, there that's is a bit there. in the, at least the film, oh, where yeah, they get this impressionable teenage girl into their hotel room, but all they do with her is feed her acid, I think. Well, the terrifying thing is that he said to them, like, I forget what the... The bike was called. It's like a this weird motorbike. And he says like, "I have to have the Black Phantom," and he bought two of them on expenses. So like, <laughs> yeah, I need them to uncover the horror. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, moving on. So Bill Murray played him in a film. So he called Murray and uh, tried to suggest the sport of shotgun golf. Where to be someone fair, yes. hits a golf ball and another person shoots it with a shotgun. Two Ooh. points for that. That is hilarious. Oh, yes. To be fair, Bill Murray was in Ghostbusters, so he's a family man. So. Yeah, true. Um, so he then tried to demonstrate a magic trick where he dropped Murray into a pool taped to a chair and he nearly <laughs> drowned it, and it would have done if uh, yep. um, Thompson hadn't pulled him out. Yep. That, that's a point because that's just crazy. Um, <laughs> what was the magic trick? Magic, the magic trick is that he might die. <laughs> Just like, oh, here's a magic trip. I tape up this man's mouth and nose and his Christ. breathing stops. Like yeah. a weird, oh, what a bizarre adventure. It's like a weird link to Tiger Brahe with the drowning. Almost, yeah. Drown mermaids. <laughs> Although you can also link Flint to that because, uh, I mean, he nearly pushed his producer off some stairs whereas Brahe did with Therefore Mooses. I get extra points. No, no, no. It might be used in the tiebreaker if that happens. Oh. Um, Where so, are you going? Where are you going? I'm, I'm trying to sneak off for a week. That's all right. You, you do that around. and I'll keep scoring. I'll the points. So no, Johnny, Depp, Johnny Depp played him and became his friend. It would seem. Can you, can you um, turn so him out and just go ah every now and again? Yeah, yeah, sure. Bearing in mind a man who didn't really trust anyone. Let's get through the scores while Simon's gone. Oh, what are you doing? You can't. You cheated. So took him bridge yes. with hippies. He took him bridge with hippies. He's getting a point just for oh, that. Oh, I like him for that though. And the fact it was counterculture, but he also didn't trust hippies. Uh, wrote articles about the Hell's Angels. Lived with them, they nearly killed him, and he wrote a book about them that was actually quite successful. I think, um, considering if you take that into account, and also the fact that he saw one of them beating his wife and dog, and he tried to stop him, that's yep. a very dangerous situation. Yep, but he um, still stood for his beliefs. I'm going to give him three points for all of those things. Yeah, unlike the weird Tasmanian devil. Yeah. So, of course, he then bought a compound. Uh, if you live in a compound, you've got to be a certain kind of crazy. Um, and he oh. and he shot at his his neighbour on the ranch next door. Um, shot at his mansion. Unloaded three guns worth of ammunition. And, yeah, unloaded three guns and then claimed he was shooting at a porcupine and destroyed his guns. A man who guns. kept tigers on his property, none less. No, uh, none yeah, less. the guy had Bengal tigers or something, didn't he? No less. Like, if a man has to buy Bengal tigers to keep you away... And you go and shoot at his mansion and claim you're shooting at a porcupine. That's another two points. And he easily. has the guns melted down as well. Smart man. Hmm. Um, so, uh, he ran for sheriff, narrowly lost. Now, the fact that it was a close-run thing is quite impressive, yes. considering his policies were legalise recreational drugs, yeah. a hype ban on buildings, and rename Aspen to Fat City, was it? Yep, yep. <laughs> I'm gonna... And also uh, uh, repaving all the roads with just grass sod. <laughs> I'm going to give him two points for those. Ah, ah, ah. 
Oh. Here's Simon, who's right, been well, here. Here we go. Here Simon's we go. been here the whole time. Uh, I, I don't really want to encourage our flame to Bally. Therefore, should be written That's off. Fine. That's fine. My guy should win. So Is then, my guy winning. So then, in '76, he reported on Vietnam, but they just left him there. They pulled the story, <laughs> and he had to make his way oh, back. So can I add a bad story? Left him. Go on. Um, Errol Flynn wants to be a war reporter. His son Sean Flynn actually did was very good. He went missing in Cambodia. Oh no! Did he? Have, did they ever find it, him? It, he basically he went to during the Cambodian genocide. Um, journalists were told, "Don't go there." You're so he went there, and he went. There, he I went have missing. some respect for it. He later reappeared and turned out to be Margaret Thatcher. It's like bald and bankrupt. <laughs> uh, no, apparently, yeah, bald and bankrupt will go missing one day. Right. Anyway, anyway, we'll carry on. Anyway, can I do this one thing for a second? Ah! Pull this belt out. Just whipped his belt. What the hell is going on? Let's score this quickly and get out. I was taking my belt off and I enjoyed it. This is like the time I was longest adjudication. This is like the time I was chased out of a friend's house while he was impersonating Alan Rickman. Stop. You're the only Cossack I know who's bothered by whipping. You're obsessed with slavery. You are. No, right. I'm not. Well, my people were subjected to it. How dare you? <laughs> so then, minorly true. Actually. He, uh, I'm part Ghanaian. He, he travelled to Nevada, uh, the Nevada desert, to report on a motorbike race. Ah. Instead, he just wrote a substance-soaked article on his alter ego, Raoul Duke. <laughs> Can yeah, I? I that, mean, that gets a point. I want to win, especially because they published that eventually. I want they? to win, but I want to add one thing. Um, Hang on a minute. Let, let me do a bit more. So, um. He, uh, yeah, what was it? A bear appeared at his assistant's lodge. <laughs> so he tried to... No bear, no bear. No bear, no. Bad bear. A bear there was. A bear, a bear. No. Bear, so bear. he tried to do the decent thing. Wait, wait, thing. wait, wait. Was it big and brown covered in there? It was. And he oh, tried okay. to shoot near the bear to scare it, but instead ricocheted and hit his assistant. Yeah, um, he fired in her direction, so aiming to miss. He's getting a point for trying to help, but... Um, also hit her in the leg and arm. Yeah, that, at least she survived, it, you know. Don't take drugs, kids. Okay, so my favourite bit. Yeah, he, when he was meeting Johnny Depp, he shoved his way into a pub armed with a cattle prod. <laughs> and a taser. Really and a taser. And the, the fact that Johnny Depp just saw sparks coming through the door yeah. and was still oh, willing way, to pay for his funeral in the end, which we'll get onto later. That $5 gets him a million point. Dollars. That gets yes. him a point. Um, he was nearly killed because... Uh, Either he or Depp, I can't remember, lit up a cigar next to some dynamite that he had in that his was, house. That was Depp. Johnny Depp. Okay, so he's getting a point for I having will dynamite. Say, Johnny Depp in favour. Johnny, Johnny Depp wasn't told about the stack of dynamite that was in Hunter S. Thompson's I basement will say, where he was staying. <laughs> Errol Flynn captured people who had no idea what was going on and made them work in a diamond mine, but he never subjected them to dynamite. Hunter S. Yeah. Thompson also shaved Johnny Depp's head to look like Yeah, that's weird. He did actually. Oh. I thought Johnny Depp was the uh, guy who decided that, but it was actually Thompson. <laughs> yeah, Thompson was just like, I'll show you right now. Oh, dear. Um, right, so what else did he do? Uh, he smuggled an elephant out tusk by tusk um, when he was supposed to be watching the best boxing event in the world at the time. Oh, yeah. He um, got bored and chucked a pound and a half of marijuana in his hotel pool. Yeah, he did actually. Um, Can we talk about marijuana? So he's going to get a point for those. He's going to get a point for those. I think next episode we should do Muhammad Ali because he was quite silly. We can do. Um, So anyway, point for that because it's quite crazy going Ah. on safari when the boxing's happening and you've got the greatest event sports. The big deal. Like back in the day when people weren't aware of his mean lean 
fat reducing machine. We, like, no, he, he actually was a hero. He's we, so proud of it, he put his name on it. We've said a lot about his routine, but we've already gone over the drug abuse a hell of a lot. And it's an impressively bad routine. <laughs> Did he do drugs? <laughs> oh, no, no, I've gone off him now. I like the bit where it says at the end, midnight, ready to write after all of the drugs he's had yep, in the day. Yep, yep, yep. But... We've gone over the drugs. It bit. makes me feel a lot better about my dissertation writing style, which is like, what about the orange I got to put the part baked French bread in the oven and have a chorizo sandwich, then I'll have a go. I'll melt a brie <laughs> in a lump of sourdough and make a brie. I'm in a mouth. monster! <laughs> so, <laughs> um, what else did he do? He, he wanted Nixon's coffin launched into the sewer outlet. Did that work uh, out? <laughs> He hated Nixon. And that, well, that one I was oh, having a point. As funny as that is, he didn't make it happen, so I'm not Apparently, giving him a point for that, but it's really he, funny. He made a lot of fun of Richard Nixon for having lost a leg to gangrene. I didn't know I, that. I'm not aware of that. I don't know if that's true. He kept slinging insults at him for being missing one leg and was claiming, <laughs> I was don't he know hoping if it's to re-break <laughs> the record that he never did in his earlier track days of running the, the three-minute mile? Can we edit this later? Hang, hang on, so, that, so there's a lot of there's a lot more stuff about what happened when he shot himself in the dead and how he was fired out of a shot cannon after... Shot himself in the dead? In the dead. In the how head. did he shoot himself in the dead? He shot himself That's in the, the head. That's the best way to shoot yourself. And after he died, he was fired out of a cannon. Stefan, how are you going to shoot yourself in the dead? All of that is very cool. In the head. The last thing that he actually did that I'm going to give him a point for is that he swam in a tropical storm <laughs> and somehow survived until 9am to the reach... The next morning, when he, he set out oh. that evening to... And then, and then a big, and then a big into... bloody monsoon just happened to appear and then he's like, well, uh, I'm just going to tread water till the morning, I guess. <laughs> you know what? Yeah. I'm oh, going to give him two points can for I... that. It's oh, the yeah. weird thing. I don't want Flynn to win because he was a wrong one, but one point, Thompson took himself out Flynn was clinging onto life by his fingernails. He was like, I've got my new teenage bride. I've got to sell my boat. Uh, yeah. I'm sad, yeah, but, but I'll see it through. Thompson left some of his best cryptic work behind when he did that act. So and There's a new act, a hot no, new he... act called Chris Lee. I'm going to break his hands. He'll love me for it. One hand, one finger. Now, gentlemen, yes. I'm going to be honest with you. Um, I didn't think it was going to end up like this, but the score's tied so far. Oh, fuck's oh! So we've got 17 points each, and uh, we can either call it another time. We've had a no, couple of those already, no, or we can no, have no, a tiebreaker. No, 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 no. So for the first part of the tiebreaker, I want you both to do an impression of your man. I can't do um, that. I don't... Ooh, ooh, ooh. Okay, I'll do an impression of him. Go on. I've said this earlier this episode. Um, he had no money. He was brought back on American radio. And said, Errol Flynn, please say something. Said, say an amusing story about your childhood. I must confess, as a 12 year old boy, I fucked a duck. <laughs> okay, okay, I'll bear that in mind. That's good, that's good. Uh, have you got an Matt's impression? Matt's on his phone. From Mr. Thompson. Yeah, Lucky at yeah. bad women who will ruin his life. <laughs> He's swiping. He's swiping what? like he's got a choice. Uh, okay. Oh, what's he they're, doing? They're both quite insane blokes, really, and uh, I'm surprised it's come to a tie, really. Okay. Oh, day. Try this. There are times, however, and this is one of them, when even being right feels wrong. What do you say, for instance, about a generation that has been taught that rain is poison and sex is death? If making love might be fatal... And if a cool spring breeze on any summer afternoon can turn a crystal blue lake into a puddle of black poison right in front of your eyes, 
There is not much left except TV and relentless masturbation. It's a strange world. Some people get rich and others eat shit and die. <laughs> That's beautiful. Very good. Very it's good. not very funny, though. Very so Fuck we... you. You're <laughs> okay. I'll s- smash you in the head with a love piston. I don't now, know what's a love piston? <laughs> who knows? Who knows? Is it, I'm, is I'm it your say... willy? Because I've been yearning for that first. No, so it's long. an actual mechanical device I've invented. Oh, right here. Okay. <laughs> there we are. I think having heard your cases for both individuals was it my bad man and he's I've, bad man i've read through the list not the bad man not the tasmanian rapist i've read through the list and I'm, i've he decided was bad. he was terrible i've decided that because out of the things that i've thought relevant and made notes of flynn has managed to get more more points on Whee! the scoreboard out of less points that i've bullet pointed oh you monster. i think he's um, he's like earned a higher point. rating through less facts in a way I and Matt's like segment was longer point system was sketchy at best a tiny bit yeah you had a man who tried to transform society so by a day I'm going to say by yeah. about 3% it's a victory to Flynn oh, really yeah. really I, the monster. I cannot believe it <laughs> what oh the god the trouble with that is I'm not allowed to celebrate because <laughs> he was a monster so, how, we're, so, so we're going to give him one time? How one did final the tiebreaker work then? Do you know what he said to his second wife? <laughs> the tiebreaker was another tie. Do, so do I, you know uh, what I the winner of this week's no, episode said no. to his wife at the courthouse? You oh know, she was working at the courthouse. What did she say? 1942, Errol Flynn said, Hello, I'm on trial for statutory rape. I'm innocent, of course. How old are you? Minus. <laughs> and she was 18. I kind of regret giving him the win now. Minus we'll 17 points. I claim the anyway, victory. Don't bear off, Lynn. He was real <laughs> naughty. He was, yeah. he was quite... Not a good uh, guy. I cannot believe it. There's no justice. So the final board. score, oh, as it stands... Bankers are twats. There's no Easter Bunny. <laughs> All There's right. No Calm Santa down, Santa sir. Order, oh, order. whoa, 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 whoa. Ah, I'm not having this. Right. You brought Robin Hood into dispute. Now you bring it up an Easter Bunny. So, not, I'm not having it! Right, guys. Charles Bronson wasn't his real name. Guys, nah, to close no. this episode, I'm just going to read you out the final scores. So... We have 18 points for Flynn, 17 points for Thompson, three for Mr. Barrymore, one for her, yeah! the Austrian Nazi doctor. Big Barrymore. And then one for me, uh, which I, I can't remember how I got there, actually. Was that, was that for a pun? So I tied with Herman, the Austrian Nazi. That's quite impressive. That's and quite I, troubling. And don't, I think don't tell your employer. And I think that is a good note to end on. So this is us signing off from history. I claim this is a moral victory. I, I well, think, yeah, my my man. I yeah. mean, it's a low bar. Like, your how man can was I meet, definitely how slightly I, more moral. <laughs> how can I beat this man on a moral level who took advantage of underage girls? <laughs> How about I don't take advantage of Andre girls? I, I, do I not win. support any of this. Neither do any of us, really. But uh, he was a, he was a bad man, do? but he was quite amusing. And with that, we're signing off. And yeah. We hope you enjoyed season two. <laughs> season two, episode one. Bastards! Very good. <laughs>